0: Greetings everyone and welcome to The Stacks, our first one post Christmas. Uh this is Jay.
1: And I'm Matsushana, who I finally learned her last name. Not her first name though, still don't know that. After three movies. Um I feel like it actually specifically comes
0: up. Oh, um, I, I know
1: her last name is Matsushima. Yeah, it's it's
0: uh, Nami, Nami is oh. the first name. Okay, I have it right here as my first note. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so you people may notice I'm I'm not in the greatest shape tonight, so we might be a little bit disorderly. <laughs> I've been <laughs> sick since uh, Christmas Eve, and uh, I I've been uh, I've had a fever since then. Uh, and, uh, the, the fever has finally subsided the other night, but I just, I'm not still up to top performance just yet.
1: Dang. Well, I, I hope you feel better. I hope you get better soon.
0: Well, we'll, we'll see how it goes this evening. All right. So we're talking about female prisoner scorpion beast stable, the third in the series. We, Covered the previous two and loved the previous two. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I didn't love this one. I liked it a lot, but I'd say it's a full star lower than the other two.
0: For me, maybe just half a star, but I would definitely say that it is my least favorite of the three. Uh, just there, there's a, a, a cruelness to this one that at times is uh, uh, the, the the revenge isn't commensurate with it. Mm. <laughs> like I, I don't feel as satisfied by the end, uh, in terms of the bloody retribution for the cruelty of what came before.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I feel like these villains in, in this one aren't as interesting, uh, aren't as, or maybe not, aren't as present as the ones in the first two. Like, the first one, it's you're cheering when that fucking cop gets killed. And the same thing with the warden and this. And in here, it's like, oh, this guy was our main villain the whole time? Really?
0: Well, I kind of feel like he wasn't. Like, do, do you mean one-arm?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one-arm cop. Um, yeah, Detective <laughs>
0: Uh, You know, I would not even say that he's the villain. I wouldn't even think that Scorpion would consider him to be a villain or have any real uh reference for him at all i think uh once she tears his arm off she's kind of done with him and is very surprised when he shows up again Uh, so am i and and also well yeah i mean it's it's kind of like wow this guy's still this guy's alive uh but i i feel like he's sort of an interesting character in that he is this guy who's looking for revenge against something scorpion did but She's totally uninterested. She doesn't care. Like, she, she has no interest in him or his vengeance, and she doesn't even ever deal with him. Someone else does. Although she's she, like, I don't even need to. You, you, I can subcontract this out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, she either sets it up or is glad to take credit for setting it up. But uh, yeah, no, she doesn't do it, though.
0: Yeah. So this starts, or, or first I should say, this is directed by Shunya Ito. Uh, he, he directed the first two as well. This comes from 1973. This is the last one he directed. He did not direct the fourth one, uh, which we'll probably get to. Uh, oh, but,
1: we will at some point. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as you're saying, it does sort of feel like it's sort of forced. It does feel like the characters don't have the natural connection to Scorpion that drives the vengeance that makes it sort of visceral like the first one as you said with the cop who put her there mm-hmm. you're like yeah i i need to see this guy get his whereas <laughs> our our one-armed cop it's like man this guy's sad <laughs> i i know i i when he was
1: walking down the street with just one arm i was like well i kind of feel bad for this guy he's just <laughs> doing his job and then
0: um, yeah, uh, but uh, he's also really shitty too, so I don't feel bad for him ultimately. It's just, yeah, this guy's kind of, he just sort of sucks and it's sad for him.
1: Well, I did it first until he went back on the case immediately instead of just taking his uh, disarmament and retiring with it.
0: It's. I mean, it's always a vengeance thing, though, and you, you you have to have the multiple vectors of vengeance in this sort of thing.
1: True, true. Uh, I just think the the brothel owners would have been should have been like, I guess the end boss
0: for I lack think of a they better are. word. My opinion is that they actually are, and that Gondo is just this separate thread that does not apply to her or her story. He's just this guy who thinks he's after her and thinks he's a nemesis. And that it, it, it's just totally tangential to anything she's doing.
1: Yeah, she her plan doesn't even, at, at least until the very end, does not uh, incorporate this guy at all. She's not watching out for him. She's not worried about him. He's not on her mind. He yeah. might as well not exist. Yeah, no. Uh,
0: it, she has, uh, she's living rent free in his head.
1: Mm hmm. Well, in a lot of people's heads by the look of them (laughs) posters. Uh,
0: She's on the loose. Uh, (laughs) Which
1: is why it's so wild that she sneaks back into the prison at the end.
0: Absolutely amazing. Like, that is the real bravado moment of the movie where she just shows up in jail again. Uh, And, and, well, the the final text scrawl is the hardest (laughs) I've laughed at any of the three of these. Maybe the hardest I've laughed at a movie in some time. That was great.
1: It is but, definitely the funniest <laughs> point in the trilogy so far.
0: Uh, but I, I also love uh, uh, the opening text. Again, we have a very vehement disclaimer that this prison is fictional. It's fictional. <laughs>
1: Re- they really don't do this in any prisons that I want to name out loud.
0: <laughs> Has not happened, will not happen, is not currently happening. These are not real people. <laughs> in this
1: dystopian uh distant future the prison industrial complex oh uh, i just remember the beginning of rikio starting out like, oh right oh. yeah <laughs> so it's like today
0: yeah yeah exactly so we we start with nami on the subway she is uh we scorpion you know uh she yeah. she's riding the subway she's out she's loose and we see a uh, weird effect is like the the train goes through the tunnels and we see those. It's like the wanted posters, like the racks rows of wanted posters sort of unfolding with the tunnels.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's cool.
0: Uh, superimposed.
1: I, I wanted more of that kind of surreal stuff in this movie, like in mm-hmm. the, like what was in the first and second. There's not as much of it here.
0: I agree. You never get any one big scene like, you know, I, as I keep referencing that fucking amazing uh, flashback scene in the first one, which is just such a masterpiece in and of itself.
1: Oh, yeah. And then when she's like telling all the sins of all the ladies of the second one.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. And this one just doesn't have anything like those.
1: The, the closest it gets to being surreal is just the sheer amount of posters everywhere.
0: That's it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's more just general dystopia in that respect. So she is spotted by two cops, of course. And uh, <laughs> uh, she... I, I think she slashes one dude's neck? Uh, I, I
1: think so. She she slashes the one guy's... The first guy? Yeah. And she then just gets... takes
0: him out. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, our Detective Gondo, although it's so long before his name even gets said... I didn't know if it did I missed it when it
1: happened so I I thought he was just one arm man
0: I I was taking notes and for most of them it just says one arm one arm one arm until finally someone said Gondo and I added it to the start of the notes (laughs) because yeah he does not matter in the movie he does not have a name he is unimportant despite being theoretically the second lead of the movie
1: well i'd say the, the other girl is yeah yeah uh,
0: but yuki
1: yeah but this this scene sets it up like he's just a nameless thug who you're not going to ever see again oh absolutely you're not expecting him to come back and like try to finish the conflict
0: which is fun i i kind of like that element of the movie it's also fun that she completely doesn't care <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> So he tries or he gets her in cuffs, and it was not a good choice on his part. They're on a train. <laughs> and I
1: love how she uh, gets out the door and then it closes it on his hand.
0: And she just she has a big kitchen knife and she just hacks, 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 uh and runs off with <laughs> her wrist cuff to Half of his arm, which is one of the other really, really funny and memorable moments in this movie. And the kind of surreal. The, the whole journey of this arm. Oh, yeah. Th- I, I
1: will say this is probably the funniest of the three movies.
0: That is true. It's, it's weird because it's got the funny moments, but it's also got the really gut punch moments. It's got oh, a weird balance.
1: We're going to get uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So just the amazing opening montage, her with blood red titles. We've got the classic Baca, Baca, Yano, uh, the foolish song of vengeance.
1: Oh, yeah. as She's running through the street.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the arm always just dangling and just thousands of people around her. Most people don't even turn and look. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. While this song is
1: playing in the background, this like really slow, sad kind of...
0: The same one. Uh, you know, it's it's one we've it, heard a yeah. couple times now. So we cut to our second lead, I guess. It's sort of her second heroine, Yuki.
1: Yeah, I'd say she's the second one.
0: Yeah, and she is introduced... Uh, with her brother having sex with her, uh, and she's just kind of laying there, tolerating, it, disinterested, looking at a lizard on the wall.
1: I love this scene. Well, I mean, I don't <laughs> love it because it's uncomfortable, but I love how they how they just slowly drip feed all the stuff that makes it that makes the scene slowly more and more uncomfortable. Like her just lying there. Mm. Her. Her just lying there completely not interested in the sex while this creepy guy's like going at her. And I'm just like, okay, well, she's being raped by this guy or she's a sex worker. And then she's like, don't you think you've had enough, brother? And I'm like,
0: <laughs> okay,
1: it's her brother. And,
0: and then, then you know, so, she gets out and she locks him in. <laughs> and it's like, wait, so
1: she's the one in, with the power in this relationship? He's wasn't raping her what is this relationship i don't i need an adult
0: they're living like this weird semi-feral existence uh they're off the grid she has to lock him up during the day like he's a werewolf Uh,
1: (laughs) it's like hugo upstairs but there's no bart simpson
0: yeah kinda or or she's bart simpson uh in a very Mm -hmm. troubling way Mm -hmm. uh lisa simpson uh, oh, I want to
1: get off this metaphor. Actually,
0: <laughs> you started this. <laughs> I did. I'm sorry. So they they live in this slum section. Like it, it seems to be just this series of rundown shacks, and they have one hidden in the back, something like that. Uh, and she sort of supports them as a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, her her. <laughs> her weird bit is the would you oh, like man. to see something hot <laughs> <laughs> and
1: she yeah she lights a match under her i don't even understand this bit honestly
0: <laughs> it comes up like it becomes a, a recurring thing and she teaches it to uh, a <laughs> scorpion later which is so such a strange scene um but yeah she she just like squats over the lighter and uh you know she she gets some guys to pay her and is like that's it <laughs> like yeah what do you want you didn't pay me that much no I'll pay you. Uh, i love her cape by the way great cape oh
1: totally totally
0: so then <laughs> we we see her go to a graveyard i don't know if she <laughs> has had it doesn't seem like she has uh been Like, was there a customer or something? It seems like she is just lying down in a graveyard because she is just not having a good day. She,
1: you know, she's goth before goth became a thing. She's pretty goth.
0: I mean, she's got the cape. She's got her weird fire trick.
1: Oh, my God, the weird fire trick. The infinite matches.
0: (laughs) I I wonder how much that is her and how much of that is Scorpion, although, you you know, lighters are her thing, so maybe she's got a bit of fire magic. This is... A supernatural movie
1: it's toes the line so much that i can't be sure uh the other one i felt was definitely supernatural but this one yeah. I was like are we back in reality again i can't quite
0: tell i feel that there is uh a magical realism element at the very least but it it definitely feels like she she is possessed by a ghost for part of this movie mm. i think I also love that we get just a hint of the incredible neon of the red light district uh, just over the wall from where she works. We don't get to see its full magnificence until later, although it's a horrible place. Yeah, it's not that great. But it looks fucking incredible. Cool for a film. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So she spies Scorpion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is another one of those scenes that made me laugh my ass off.
0: That's pretty funny. Uh, a hell of an intro. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she hears, like, scraping of, like, metal against stone.
0: Well, and what sounds like chewing. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. And she's, like, squatting behind a headstone, and she's kind of hovering back and forth, and it looks like she's just gnawing on a, the severed arm. Uh, the cop's severed arm, of course, but she's like actually trying to break the cuff on the corner of a uh, corner of one of the graves.
1: And, and like, she, yeah, she's holding the arm in her mouth so that she can use both her both of her arms to do it. And she's making eye contact the whole yeah. time.
0: <laughs> of course she is. I mean, that is pure scorpion is like, yeah, you've seen me and I've seen you see me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going to do this.
0: Well, for me, it's them all as feral cats or outdoor cats, stray cat household. Like, everything with the three of them living together feels that way to me.
1: Yeah, it really does, now that you think that, now that you mention it, just the the way the three play off of each other.
0: Yeah, well, especially just this, where, you know, she's in the graveyard just you know, lying down, why not? <laughs> looks over and there's uh, another very dangerous feral who is uh, gnawing on a severed limb uh, <laughs> and has definitely escaped some sort of dangerous custody. And it's like, well, why not one more? <laughs> yeah,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, she's got like the long, perfectly straight hair. So she looks like uh, like the grudge or the ring. Yeah, yeah. Which I well, although none they, of those are out yet.
0: True, but I feel like to an extent they have to sort of derive from her, or she's sort of part of the same folk tradition, because that's like the the classic uh, uh, ghost style in Japanese uh, uh, horror literature. I think.
1: Oh, for sure. Um, the the snake girl in uh, yeah yokai monsters right. is like that too.
0: Absolutely. So I I, I think. She's sort of intentionally echoing that because she becomes more ghostly with every movie. And she gets more weird ghost powers.
1: <laughs> and she says less every time, although she does have almost conversations in this one.
0: True, but it's an incredibly long time until she does. There's a lot of people talking at her and her just looking at them.
1: True, true.
0: <laughs> so, of course, uh, the brother, I don't know if the brother ever has a name. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's maybe said once, but I didn't ever catch it. I just know of him as the brother. Uh, so he obviously tries to have sex with Nami. Of course. Which is a big no-go. Yeah, she, she's going to, you know, yeah, she's going to swipe the, swipe her paws at him. Yeah. But you know, everyone's got to pet the kitty. Yeah. She, she, the slashes, cutest one. <laughs> she slashes him with the kitchen knife. And, uh, obviously, uh, Yuki comes in to explain his deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A factory accident uh, got hit in the head or something, wasn't it? Right.
0: Some sort of brain damage from factory accident, which, horrifying, uh, but, you know, very realistic that this is a a very realistic backstory for him, unfortunately. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) the, the The thing about this scene that got me is, like, after... After she's, she's explaining, oh yeah, he's like, he's brain damaged, he can't help himself. He turns to the brother and says, don't I give you enough sex? No, it's, don't I always give you all the sex you want? And Scorpion just puts down the knife and just like backs
0: away. Yeah, she's like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to find my own apartment now. Yeah, she's like, I'm moving out. Uh <laughs> It's like she is so unnerved by that statement. It's like, I don't need to kill you anymore. I've lost interest in this. She just like literally turns and walks away. A very outdoor cat kind of thing, too. It's like, I'm not interested in this anymore. Fine, whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. this is this is too much for all the other shit I'm already dealing with.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So we catch up with our Mr. One-Armed Cop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's doing a sad Charlie Brown walk down the street.
0: It's a very jazzy one, but it is completely the Charlie Brown walk and just rows of wanted posters on either side taunting him <laughs> staring love, at him.
1: I love how the wanted poster looks like a movie poster,
0: too. Hmm. It would be a red movie poster. It's probably not far off the actual movie poster designs. Probably. So during the day, Nami works in a sweatshop. Uh, she, she 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 works for a seamstress just sewing all day at a machine.
1: She sews so hard. Yeah. She which, sews like
0: so she does much intensity. Yeah. Everything she does is intense. So uh, she's a good person to get to work for you, honestly. Just don't ever, just don't oh, ever, don't like, mess with you her. know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't uh, try to dock her pay for being five minutes late.
0: I don't think she'd be five minutes late, but like you know, well, treat yeah. your employees right because uh, ooh, yeah, she she'll mess with you. Mm-hmm. Don't lock her up with don't lock her up with your crows, for example. <laughs> Not a good idea. Uh, she'll become your lead, she'll become their leader. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Yuki comes to meet her after work. It's this kind of lovely uh, meditative scene that I don't think we've really had in any of these before, but is. Uh sort of a, a mainstay of uh the Sukamotos. Just sort of a, 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 a jazzy twilight scene with them drinking grape Fanta and watching traffic in the city.
1: Oh yeah, right. It's kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a very sukamoto scene right there.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's like the moon scene in uh Tokyo Fist. Oh yeah. So she wants to stay with Nami. Uh, she She's just <laughs> like, look, I, I, I need to get away from my brother. This this shit's all fucked up. I would prefer to just let him be locked up there and starve to death and die. That That's fine, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, Nami's just like, she doesn't say anything because, you know, she doesn't say anything.
0: Right. And she kind of hints. It's like, well, you know, maybe we, we could take a more uh, direct route. And like, th- the cops are after you anyway and whap it's like a textbook <laughs> backhand perfect just like full uh 180 degree like she's sent flying <laughs> <laughs> uh but then of course Yuki throws up which is the obvious movie language right <laughs> yeah yeah oh she she must
1: be pregnant there's no other reason a person would throw up
0: in a movie in a movie. But like, I mean, especially when you've just been slapped uh, But, of course, as we know Even though she's a sex worker It kind of does seem obvious already That it's going to be her brother's baby And she does quite quickly admit it
1: Yeah, I don't think she has a lot of sex as a I, sex worker, honestly
0: No, she's doing the lighter trick I don't get it She <laughs> must not be Well, they don't make money It doesn't look like they're living high <laughs> <laughs> No, no so, Nemi chases after Yuki because she, she goes running from the apartment. But on the way out, she's accosted by a gross guy who licks his lips at her. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Always got to be at least one of these in th- these movies.
0: Yeah, I think he's the the landlord's husband or, like, the neighbor's guy or something.
1: Oh, yeah. Um Oh the the guy from the apartment building.
0: Yeah, he, he's just like wearing a leisure suit. He's just a gross guy.
1: Yeah, and the one, and he's got like his wife just looking at at through the window or the doorway.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately he's going to get you know ripped up cuz that's what you do with one of these guys. Oh, sure.
1: Although the way that they do it is a little uh, out there.
0: Oh well, yeah, uh, that that one is well. The, the kills in this are pretty great, honestly. There, there's some there's some fun stuff.
1: Oh, it's fun. It just don't think about it because if you do, it doesn't
0: work. <laughs> so, we we have this montage where Nami is just lighting matches in her apartment, and Yuki is out somewhere looking at her reflection and heavily over applying lipstick.
1: Oh yeah, like. Just using half a stick of lipstick on one application—it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, she's just really o- overdoing it. Obviously, kind of having a breakdown, uh, and then she gets nabbed by some thugs because uh, you know you can't have free enterprise sex work. You're right on the verge of this red light district. We own this place.
1: Yeah, you can't—you uh, can't do that. What, who do you think you are? The the
0: man from Shangtung? And it's like. Uh, how much are you going to get out of this lady? Come on. (laughs) She's not taking
1: any of their business. She's not
0: taking any business. She does not seem to be having sex. She's doing this lighter thing. I like you guys are not really losing a lot of business this way. Like those last guys. Yeah. She's like an, an, an emissary. They, they come in and like, well, that wasn't enough. We need to go further. We'll go this way. I mean, she's kind of like a rip off on the way. So maybe that, is sort of hurting their business. Like, well, that's, you know, money that those guys could have spent oh, here instead of uh, giving part of it to you on the way in. Mm. But either way, you know, uh, it's it's a very excessive reaction that they have. So first, the Red Light District. It's super neon, it's hellish, and fucking incredible. It looks so amazing.
1: It, it's pretty cool. I, I dig it.
0: Yeah, just uh, so much cool neon, and it's just oppressive. There's nothing but neon light everywhere. So we meet our essential main villains: the lady boss, who she seems like she's sort of based on the the trusty lady who was humiliated in the first one. Oh, the one who was che- like cheating that lady uh, in the card game or something.
1: Oh, okay. She does mention that she knew uh, Scorpion from prison, and that's why she's so scared. So
0: maybe that is her. I don't think it's necessarily the same actress, but it does feel like it's sort of meant to echo that character, because she's got kind of a similar look, and it's just sort of her as a much more intense version after having spent hard time in jail after Scorpion ruined it for her.
1: Yeah, so she decided to become... uh... The
0: evil queen from Snow White. She is so evil, though. She is really nasty. Like, she is not... She doesn't have the coolness of a Maleficent, I'm afraid. (laughs) No, she doesn't. She's... She is evil. She's just a fucking mean evil bitch. (laughs) She's
1: more like, uh, in Arrested Developments, the, the flashbacks of young George and Lucille, but, like, it's still them, and it's just uh, Jeffrey Tambor with a terrible wig. That's right. what these two remind me of. Not when they're played by Seth Rogen and the other lady.
0: Hmm. She's just yeah. She's just got this real evil intensity to her, uh, and you know she's got her big crow cage. Takes up like half a room full of crows. Some of them are very <laughs> fake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the first of the really uncomfortable sexual violence scenes. Uh, after I finished watching this, I texted you and I was like, I feel like those blue haired old ladies from the video nasties uh, documentary. they were being interviewed about how Child's Play 3 is psychotic violence born would just burst into flames in contact with this film.
1: Yeah. Because
0: um... sexual violence was always what really got them going.
1: Oh yeah and well that's not in Child's Play 3.
0: No. There's
1: hardly any <laughs> violence at all in Child's Play 3.
0: Right. Uh but this uh this is the first thing that's uh, quite unpleasant she uh sticks a golf club in uh Yuki. Uh the
1: the club part first.
0: Yeah, uh and and it comes back bloody.
1: As you would expect. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, it's 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 pretty harsh. It's really nasty, and this is just like them giving a warning.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a warning.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty awful. Yeah. So and if
1: you keep it up, we're gonna throw you in the crow cage. That's not gonna backfire on us.
0: No, I think they do throw her in the crow cage. Oh, do they? I believe so, because um, I I it, she comes back to the shack. Uh, quite a bit more ravaged uh, shortly after this, because Nami is there checking on the shack. It's like, I don't know, something might be weird here. And she shows up just ripped up. Mm, okay. Uh, and and she considers killing uh, the brother again.
1: Yeah, she what she ends up doing is sticking her knife in the door Um <laughs> It, what what do you think this message? What do you think the sticking the knife in the door meant? I have a theory.
0: Uh, well, I I think it's sort of just this. Well, well first there, it, it's it's a whole mixed uh, message thing because first yuki is sort of uh angry but like now she or like she had asked her to kill him and now yeah. she shows up and she thinks that maybe it has something to do with him this is this whole unrelated thing and she has sort of lost her mind uh and he starts caressing her and she's like you have to go nami it's, it's, you know nami don't preach uh i'm gonna keep the baby
1: oh yeah uh See, what I think was her sticking the knife into the door is like, this is not my place to get involved in this shit. You want to kill her? You want to kill him? Do it yourself. Here's the knife.
0: Yeah, well, I, I don't even know if it, she's expecting her to do anything. I don't think she will. Uh, but yeah, it's essentially like, I'm I'm, not, I'm weirded out again. This is the second time. I, I, I'm just leaving. Screw you people. This is so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, like... Her. She still has had no dialogue in this film. She does not speak in this scene. Nope. <laughs> she She's like, she shows up, she's got the knife, people say stuff to her, she just gets weirded out and she leaves awkwardly. I get it. <laughs> and she uh-huh. comes back to her apartment and there's the creep guy again. Our, our uh, gross guy from earlier, the downstairs boyfriend.
1: Yeah, yeah, this guy... I feel like this guy from the creepy apartment across the street is in every movie that has a girl living in an apartment. Yeah, maybe not this one guy, but this character.
0: He's in. I, there's basically this guy in *Liza the Fox Fairy*. Is there not?
1: Uh, he's in *Liza the Fox Fairy*. He is in every Doris Wishman movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, he is ninety percent of the male characters in Doris Wishman movies. Uh,
1: he he's kind of in *Sound and Fury*. It's not exactly the same. That dad is a more much more of a character than this guy but
0: yeah eh. he's still a creep yeah <laughs> so he's he's lying in wait uh, uh obviously he's going to attempt to assault her uh and obviously you know she's armed to the teeth she pulls a knife and he thinks he's got this all figured out He's like i've got your wanted poster yeah, <laughs> I, <I'm... laughs> I know that you're a brutal murderer yeah, like I, I'm definitely going to be able to extort sex from this. Santo is absolutely going to die in the ring, you know?
1: <laughs> she's already ma- wearing her murder outfit.
0: Yeah, I, like, I don't know what he thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, because she has like most of when she's going out in town and like just doing stuff, she has this white trench coat. But now she's wearing the black one. That's the mm-hmm. murder coat.
0: Yeah. So we don't see more of that just yet, but we see her in bed and just sort of reflecting on... Like, she she's flashing back to Yuki passively accepting sex from her brother, and it's like, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> 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 Again, silently, but we see her eyes just start glowing with rage.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, but what do you do about it? She was... It, it's clear that she can't just listen to yuki and kill the brother because yuki changes her mind every 10 seconds yeah she'll be
0: really upset
1: after she, she wants to just not have this be any of her business but i think she sees like a kindred spirit in yuki
0: she caught feelings you know oh yeah <laughs> so next morning she's coming down the stairs and mr pimp guy whatever the f- hell oh, he thinks he's going to be he tries to feel her up on the stairs and says tonight's the night (laughs) my day at the
1: bus terminal is really gonna pay you off
0: yeah uh and then we have that wonderful sequence of the dog digging up the (laughs) cops decayed (laughs) severed arm
1: i wanted more of this dog (laughs) 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 it's so good good. he's like digging up the i'm like okay there's this dog digging up what's he got there oh that's that's an that's an arm. That's the cop's arm, He's, and you know it's the dog's turn to run around the city streets with his arm.
0: And again, nobody really paying it much mind. And then the dog just, you know, curled up on a corner <laughs> chewing on it. It's so good. <laughs> just this soft lyrical sequence in the middle, I'm like, oh, yeah, check out what's what, what's going on with the cop's arm these days. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the cop
1: to get it back and like try to uh, reattach it.
0: He should have gotten a cyborg arm. That would have made him a cool villain. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, maybe in the next. Mo- well, no, not in the next movie.
0: So there's this interesting scene at the bar. This is one of the few sequences that has a real interesting visual style to it. where uh, Oh, the, the color strobe lights. Covers? Yeah. Yeah. And they, um, they create a strobe effect. Instead of using actual strobes, they uh, drop frames. Yeah, it's
1: it's really neat. It's it's a really cool, like, uncanny valley effect.
0: It's cool because it's a soft strobe effect. It doesn't give you that kind of uh this is going to make me crazy if I keep looking at it. It just it's it feels uncanny, but it doesn't uh uh like overwhelm hurt. the senses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Uh and uh, I, I think it's the girlfriend, right? Or it is
1: the the girlfriend the wife. or wife of the creepy apartment guy,
0: <laughs> and she gets a call. And I, I it must be Scorpion. It's been better watch out, or you'll lose your man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wipe out!
1: <laughs> Great gag from The Simpsons, BTW.
0: Oh yeah. So she rushes on home and puts on a pot of water or puts starts boiling a boiling a pot of water.
1: <laughs> this <laughs> is one of those ones that you have to not think about.
0: No, this one's great. This rules. It, it, it's great, but just <laughs> just don't think about it. it it's classic Is she she fucking big heats him. Uh a classic noir film, The Big Heat. Oh, uh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, uh, someone—it's coffee in that one. But uh, yeah. she she boils this pot of water until it's just raging hot. She just sits down. Uh, there's lightning flashing as she's sitting at the table smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's like oh, I'm mad. Uh, which has sort of been the way we've de- or the way the series has depicted anger throughout the series when someone is about to become righteously, vengefully angry, uh, lightning starts flashing around them. Oh, I never noticed that. I'm sure it was a thing in the previous one a few times.
1: Probably. Well, yeah, probably, because that one deals with ghost shit.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, she heads upstairs once the kettle's on the boil. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Knocks and uh waits for a uh, pimp guy to come to the door and splash whoo shit oh
1: yeah she she gets him i think she was trying to get scorpion though
0: uh well yeah she was but she uh, scorpion knew she was coming you know she set this all up oh of course so and... she had him come to the door
1: I'm curious how she got him to do that. Oh, probably just oh, easily make
0: him go, go away. Go get the door.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoever it is, make him go away so I could be more intimate with you or or maybe she just glared him into doing it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really envision her using a lot of words. But yeah, obviously, no. yeah, go get the door. And so he got the door and he got fucking big heated rules. It's great.
1: <laughs> it is. And pretty he got awesome.
0: so burned. It's hilarious. Oh,
1: man. <laughs> there wasn't enough water in that kettle to burn him that much, but I don't
0: care. He is just lobster red over most of his body. Uh, <laughs> he falls down the stairs, just writhing and screaming in pain. And I think he <laughs> dies. <laughs> I think he does. <laughs> uh, so that's Tanida. Uh, R.I.P., I think. He, he does not come back.
1: No, no. He, we, we've seen the last of him, whether he dies or not.
0: Oh, we no, we know he dies because uh, some men come to take her from her workplace and say uh, he died from his wounds. Oh, right, right, because mm.
1: he was with the, the Yakuza slash brothel people.
0: So he is a pimp. He's like one of the lower level pimps. So he was just trying to, like, get her into their stable, right? Stable. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. God. I didn't, I, I didn't know why it was oh, called yeah. that. Oh, yeah, that that's a whole thing. Uh, pimp has a stable it's, uh, you know, uh, it's pretty obvious language It's like the Prime Cut that I was talking about A few weeks back The Gene Hackman movie The sex trafficking and meatpacking plant Right <laughs> So Katsu The lady boss Who uh, we saw at the golf club earlier She knows her She was a trustee Who was ruined by Nami Sometime in the past
1: Yep. And
0: so more vengeance.
1: Got, more vengeance more, needs to more happen. More vengeance
0: lines, yeah. Uh, so she drugs Nami and puts her in the crow cage. And I literally, while I was watching it the first time after we recorded last week, I was watching and I was like, You fool, she's going to become their leader. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, I was thinking, You fools, she's going to die and then get resurrected with crow powers like Catwoman did.
0: Oh, I just figured she was definitely going to become their leader. That that just seemed like easy pickings for her.
1: Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that too. That's Crows are smart enough to follow whoever's coolest.
0: Yeah, well, the it's a murder of crows. Who do you follow but Scorpio? <laughs> exactly. So Yuki's out looking for her, but she can't find her, and she decides that she's going to go to the clinic and get an abortion. Right, yeah. Oh, I forgot but, the that whole bit <laughs> yeah and that's fine her scene yeah. is fine it's just it is intercut with a different abortion scene which is much much worse oh the, the other shinobu
1: the other uh the other sex worker
0: a, a pregnant sex worker she's she's brought into the villainous lair with the crow cage of course
1: yeah where they've got their own villain doctor
0: yeah, and she's 6 months pregnant, which that's that's uh, pretty late. You can't really do a whole lot about that.
1: Well, the villain doctor's going to try.
0: Yeah. Uh they, it's like we're we're going to take you to a doctor to take care of your baby. And yeah, it's it's absolutely horrifying cuz we have this whole sequence play out like we we watch this taking place. It's very brutal. Again, uh blue-haired British ladies just like capsizing and exploding you know
1: oh they have never well i never that (laughs) ever
0: before and they kind of just dump her on the floor outside the crow cage just covered in blood horrifying
1: yeah and she's like just weakly just like my baby my
0: baby Mm -hmm. and nami holds her hand while i think she dies
1: she she does die here it seems like
0: yeah cuz uh quite brutalized so nami is able to find the scalpel that she grabbed in the scuffle cuz uh, uh you know when when they grabbed her you know one her hand hit the uh doctor's the table. table
1: yeah she grabbed a thing
0: so yeah uh, nami does that thing where she draws it all the way across her eyes she is becoming vengeance. Yo, these people are done for.
1: Oh, I, I love this kill. The all white with the red. The doctor. Yeah. You don't even really see it happen. You just see this white room just slowly getting more red as blood just gets splattered everywhere.
0: And just the shadows of it happening. Yeah, really cool. Pretty, pretty stylish sequence.
1: I, I think this is this might be this movie's version of the flashback scene where they just, maybe, hey, it but it's not,
0: it doesn't have the emotional impact. It doesn't really have the same sort of uh, purpose. Like those are both like these heavily thematic sequences that sort of are the fulcrum of the whole movie. Whereas this is just, you know, it's one of the kill scenes. It's stylish, but it doesn't do anything uh, that changes the movie.
1: No, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, the movie would still proceed exactly the same without this scene.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you you have to kill off this doctor, but it's not Well, yes. But it, it, it looks good. It's not revelatory. Yeah, it's just a stylish sequence. So uh one arm is on the case. Kondo. Yeah, we finally learn his name. Yeah. Well no, we don't learn his name yet. Oh Talked no. No no. Uh it, it's one arm for a while. Uh, But he's on the case So this is where we kind of get him coming back in again It's like okay this guy is apparently Looking for her right now Uh, But Katsu gets in And she finds the cage open And she's like oh fuck (laughs) She basically
1: Begins her nervous breakdown
0: Yeah Uh, And one was like one girl What's the big deal And then there's just this sudden huge commotion (laughs) Instantly Uh, but it's not her yet. It is Kondo one armedly punching his way in. <laughs> Cause like <laughs> um, the, the, the vengeance vector is so strong. He's like, I know you guys are next. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming for you now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's coming for you. And then for me, she might come for the brother. Uh, let's see who else might be on her list. well, more people have to, like, beat her up first before she can do more vengeance.
0: What I really love is that most of the henchmen just run away in terror. <laughs> They're all yeah. done. They just run off. We we see them go, oh shit. And then we cut to outside. We just see them running out of the red light district and going away. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> I always love a good henchman quitting, but I never see a henchman quitting en masse. <laughs> That's excellent.
1: Uh, nobody wants to work for the Yakuza anymore. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you do to get good help? Pay your people? For, no.
0: <laughs> That's not really going to do it in this case.
1: Well, not in this one, no.
0: So Yuki attempts to proposition Kondo on his way out of the red light district. with with the want to see something hot but she grabs the empty sleeve and it's really awkward
1: (laughs) oh oh yeah kondo's empty sleeve he is very obviously just uh keeping hiding one of his arms under the
0: coat yeah yeah it's it's fine (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you know she grabs the empty sleeve and he's like oh oh, mm." and she connects the dots instantly she gets it he's like oh wait no i know who this is this is that this is the guy whose arm I saw her chewing on when I met her. Yeah, yep. And there's just tons of wanted posters all around them, too. So it, it really is sort of blindingly obvious. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so one of the underlings gets slashed in shadow uh, just in front of a wall. I, I don't even know who he is. She just hunts down all of the guys who ran away anyways. Oh yeah,
1: um, you still were, even if you're not part of the shitty Yakuza brothel now, you were at one point, and you did do the thing still.
0: Right, it's cool, it's this brief little sequence of the movie where it becomes a slasher movie with Scorpion as the slasher. She's just taking out each of these guys with scalpels each time.
1: Oh yeah, because she she stole, she stole all the Doctor's scalpels and now she has scalpel powers.
0: yeah. This is the, like, I feel that, and and I have definitely seen it uh, talked about uh, critically for this, as well as uh, she says it later that she's possessed by the spirit of uh, Shinobu.
1: I'm wondering how much of that
0: is true and how much of her is just saying that.
1: Because I just kind of wonder if it's...
0: Way. Yeah, I I could. I I mean, I I don't feel that she would lie. She is not someone who says things. So she says something. I feel like you can kind of take it at some sort of face value. But uh, it it could be a thing. It it could be more of a metaphor in the sense that, like, I am assuming her spirit of vengeance uh, to, you know, so that you receive the vengeance that you so thoroughly deserve. Yeah. um, In her place. Yeah.
1: Or it could be that because of the ghost power she got in the last one, she really is the spirit of vengeance.
0: I do think that she is, to an extent, Japanese ghost rider, which is rad. She doesn't even need the flaming skull or the motorbike. She's rad as hell.
1: Better without it, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: So uh, she gets another guy in the movie theater, scalpeled in the back of the neck. (laughs) (laughs) The dude in the car wash. There's oh, yeah. like a whole sequence where she's going, or we see POV her just in a car wash, <laughs> uh, and of course, yeah, he gets scalped to death again in the neck, and then Katsu and her man. I, I guess it's like the the two main people are they're down to them again, and they're getting nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I love how she kills the husband. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, so we i i, I want to mention before we get there because there's a couple more things uh, the cop chews up some of the crime scene photos he's so angry at them <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's just standing on like an upper floor and he's like looking through crime scene photos and he's only got the one hand to look through them and he just gets so <laughs> mad he like grips them with his teeth and he like chews them in half and starts throwing them amazing
1: uh, sir we're going to need those to get a conviction
0: <laughs> so katsu turns herself into prison because it just seems like the safer option <laughs> good choice <laughs> oh
1: yeah oh oh, katsu does i was thinking yeah yeah no she's right
0: yeah well, no yeah, well, i help, mean but it's ultimately it doesn't help but, do. but yeah, it seemed like a really good uh course to take because it seems like he, she could not go in there cuz they would recognize her that she is the most wanted person in Japan. Uh her posters are absolutely everywhere. She's currently extremely wanted. How could it happen? So Yeah. <laughs> her man stays behind as bait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, more like why don't you stay as bait and I'll be over here. And Wait. She, she never planned on seeing him again. No.
0: Uh, and Nami is there. She tells him that she is possessed by the soul of the dead girl. Uh, so either she is actually possessed or she has decided to carry out her vengeance. I, I feel either way, I, we can take it to a, a certain degree of face value.
1: Hmm. Oh, I think she is possessed because she's not wearing her murder outfit. She is wearing a blue dress. Hmm. So that okay. could be what, you know, what the girl would wear.
0: And also she throws that crow at the dude. It just kind of <laughs> comes out of nowhere. <laughs> she throws it at him. Well, I love that. Yeah. He falls out a fucking window. He just like <laughs> a crow flies at him and he falls out a window. That's a pretty funny death.
1: Oh, it's great. And It's not even flush. She threw it. <laughs>
0: Oh, she threw a crow at him. It is a fake dead crow. Uh, it is like a taxidermy crow or a stuffed animal. She just hucks it at him. And he falls out a window. It is a great dummy, too. Uh,
1: dead crow, do not throw.
0: <laughs> I
1: don't know what I expected.
0: So there's the police searchlight following her across the rooftops as she escapes. And uh, she just goes ahead and escapes. They can't really do a whole lot to stop her. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I really love the shot of her climbing down the ladder on the side of a building in the tight blue dress and just looking so elegant and frightening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> running off and getting away. Or no, no. she. They, they have both ends of the street blocked off. So she escapes into the sewers at this point. Yeah, she spends most
1: of the rest of the movie in the sewer
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cops come in after her, which is the really big mistake In a really condensed space, you don't want to mess with her She pickaxes the first guy <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah. pickaxe, okay
0: it is so out of nowhere that was one of the other big laugh moments for me is that like the cop is coming down the tunnel and then just she comes out like a slasher and pickaxes him and he like falls over sideways he shoots his gun the cop behind him is shot by him (laughs) (laughs) these
1: guys just got jason killed
0: yeah and obviously she evades them uh they, they just are unable to find her of course yeah uh, we cut up up to above ground and Yuki is back to having sex with her brother. So I guess she didn't learn a whole lot from all of this experience yet.
1: I don't know if she does.
0: No, I don't know. Uh, we we see the cops pulling the dead guy out with a winch. There's just
1: <laughs> this... <laughs> this big fucking crane. <laughs>
0: and uh the rain starts falling we're, we're having really heavy rainfall so the water is rising in the tunnels so they figure like well you know she's going to be driven out of there there there's uh, not much she can do with this
1: yeah yeah you know she can't she can't live there she can't like eat and she can't hold her breath forever
0: yeah but then we have the matches scene which is Really strange and kind of like, again, it feels magical to me the the way it comes off and I don't know whose magic it is. It does kind of seem like it's a shared magic between them.
1: I feel like it is um, because at first it doesn't seem magical, but then it's like, OK, these matches are coming down way too fast. Oh, it's one of these.
0: yeah. So she's lighting matches and dropping them down various storm drains, trying to find Scorpion. She's calling for her. This is the first time she's calling her name as Scorpion instead of as Nami.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I'm just imagining like her going up to the manholes, Scorpion, Scorpion. And the next manhole, there's a little kid going, Leonardo. <laughs> People did that. I did that.
0: Sure uh but yeah the the as she does it we see scorpion somewhere submerged below and then just suddenly there's hundreds of matches all flying down the tunnels finding her like the fire <laughs> locates her
1: yeah like like it's one of those will-o'-the-wisp guys and yokai monsters
0: mhm so yeah i, I mean yeah, pretty definitely magical here but this is also where she teaches her the match trick <laughs> Which, yeah, I, as I wrote in the notes it Sounds fake, but okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you light the match Underneath uh, Yourself
1: while you're squatting down It's supposed to keep you warm
0: Yeah uh, Okay Warms your whole body instantly uh, And she gives her some food She does. She t- <laughs> <she, laughs> i love this
1: part because she's got like this whole ass loaf of bread you can see the holes in the mad hole are too small so the camera just moves slightly up and she just shoves it down to the bottom of the camera
0: and gets down there it gets there hey it works <laughs> so this i think is the first thing scorpion says in the entire movie other than when she called to get mr pimp Uh, Bludgeon or get uh, him Boiled to death She says Yuki what about your baby
1: Oh yeah Yeah I thought She talked before this
0: um, But I didn't write it down This was the first thing I noticed Her actually saying other than uh, Like it had to have been her On the phone that called uh, The lady who uh, Threw the water on her boyfriend Right uh, but yeah, she asks her about the baby, and of course she just shakes her head. Which I don't know. I, I feel like Scorpion would be maybe sort of relieved in a sense. <laughs> she she did kind of feel that it was maybe the better path to take, maybe.
1: Probably, but I also think Scorpion still doesn't know what the best path in any of her nonsense <laughs> yeah. is. This is.
0: What all is just the best? Very path weird. Or- so after a week, the police figure, well, she has to be dead. There's no way she could be still alive down there. So we're, we're just gonna close up the case. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they they have like a kendo team. It's a police kendo team.
1: <laughs> oh right, I forgot about the kendo team. <laughs>
0: Who, for, they, like, they, they grab Yuki off the street, they take her into some back equipment room, and they're beating up with kendo sticks.
1: Yeah. How how did the cop make the connection between Yuki and Scorpion?
0: I think he saw her putting the matches and, like, uh, looking, like, calling into the storm drains and stuff. Oh, okay, okay. So I think he could just kind of put it together, but I don't know. Uh magic could be a part of it as well.
1: I don't think the cop should have magic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think the cop has any magic. Uh it doesn't work out for him certainly. No. But uh yeah, they they beat her up and they he he's threatening to keep her locked up until the brother starves to death, which kind of is sort of what she wants to begin with. Yeah, or well, she has been what she's she wanted at she, some time.
1: Or has been what she's mentioned?
0: Yeah, I she's, don't know what she wants. She doesn't know what she wants. But they lock her up with the riot gear. And she manages to get out. And she drops some more matches. And then when Scorpion arrives, she starts crying. She knows she's being followed. Or perhaps they have uh, sent her. I, I think she knows that they're there at this point. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, I don't know if she's involved in a police operation. I, I'm not sure if it's a matter of them working with her, like making her do it, or them just following her. I think it's, she's forced to work with them.
1: That's the impression I got.
0: But her crying sort of gives it away. Yeah, Scorpion so Scorpion runs just off.
1: Runs off, it's like, okay, that I know what this means.
0: Yeah, she fucking books it. Uh, and then... A spotlight hits Yuki because it's just every fucking police person. They're they're all there.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no other crime. You got to get Scorpion.
0: Yeah. Uh, Everything else seems to be running perfectly. So. Mm -hmm. (laughs) they
1: Solved every other crime in whatever the city
0: is. uh, Yeah. uh, Everything else seems to be going really great. There's not a hellish red light district. Uh, run by insanely violent criminals who they are more interested in protecting from Scorpion. Uh, But so they pour a bunch of gasoline down the drain, which also seems like something you should not do. (laughs) This is is how you deal with Uh, chuds.
1: (laughs) And breaking news, do not drink any water today. Uh, Not even a boil water advisory because your water will be on fire
0: water is gasoline currently. Uh yeah, he Gondo of course drops a match, he lights it up and laughs. Oh yeah, the laughter. Of course. Uh Scorpion outrunning a fireball. It's amazing that we got to it in this series. <laughs> oh yeah, she outruns <laughs> it. a cliché. She, she hides from it
1: for a little bit well, by, she around the corner.
0: Well no, she she swims under the fire. Uh, it's, it's you know, the classic uh, 90s cliche. I think Stallone does it in daylight. Oh, probably. I've seen it in a few movies. I, I believe it happens in The Rock. Maybe Nick Cage does it there. It does happen in The Rock. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of movies that happens. It's huge. It was like a big cliche in the 90s. I don't recall it a whole lot outside of 80s and 90s. But uh, hey, they did it first. Or maybe. Maybe. But yeah, unscathed. She swims under the fireball. And uh, we cut to Yuki tearfully having sex with her brother again. <laughs>
1: uh, this time seems a bit more passionate.
0: Yeah, she's, uh, well, she's lost, uh, the only other person she has in her life, or she thinks she has.
1: Yeah, but, <laughs> well, it turns out, although, I don't know, do we see Yuki again after this?
0: Uh, no, no, because it, it just cuts to... It, we're we're in jail for the rest of the movie. Oh
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So cuz that <laughs> Yuki problem solved? Yeah, I don't think we're coming back to her in part four, but well, hmm. I'd be did shocked go... if we did. Uh, rough life for Yuki, not great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Katsu hanging out in jail, and there's this newcomer. She's been charged <laughs> with three months for arson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's Scorpion. It's scorpion. And like ah ah. <laughs> she had to have like done an arson, got caught, uh, not been recognized by anyone, had no ID on her. Uh, nobody investigated anything. They had to have a
0: trial. She well, would I have been in court. She, I think she would have intentionally done an arson in front of a cop to get arrested and come in here. Sure, but because they, they think she's dead. She's been declared dead. It it, it is the, like obviously her likeness and her being incredibly striking looking is a big problem in the the suspension of disbelief element here.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, uh, oh man, you look like that death glare. You look exactly <laughs> like the girl from the from the wanted posters that were on every single uh, that were covering the entire surface area of the city.
0: Maybe she is able to just turn off the death glare and just be like. And like, well, you don't look like her. You seem You're reasonable. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem like her at all. Uh, but when she's in jail, she is constantly doing the death glare at Katsu exclusively. Yeah, no matter what
1: they're doing. Uh, Day and night. Eating at the, eating at the cafeteria, death glare. Uh, sleeping or trying to, death glare.
0: Right. So at night, there's this one prisoner who's singing to her baby who is taken away. Uh, so it, it's a running theme in this of uh, loss of children or through abortion or uh, through choice or not. Uh-huh. And she has uh, kind of just had this mental break. And uh, obviously Scorpion is just staring at Katsu like, you know what this is. You, you uh You you know why I'm here. This is about this. Mm -hmm.
1: And Katsu slowly turns into Gollum.
0: (laughs) So the guards show up and they drag away the prisoner quite brutally, just haul her away. And the the cloth baby just falls to the floor. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. And as this happens, Katsu and Scorpion both have the flashback to Shinobu. Like, they're both thinking about the same thing. And Katsu goes under her pillow, and there's a needle there. It comes out in the palm of her hand. It's like, oh, Oh. shit. (laughs) Ah, fuck. Like, oh, okay. Uh, There's definitely something going on here. And then she suddenly gets really sick.
1: Oh, I didn't... Oh, I never made the connection between her getting sick. I thought she was just going nuts.
0: No, she didn't become Gollum. She got fucking dosed. Oh, shit. So she wakes up to what she thinks is scorpion draining all her blood but of course it's just a nurse and she's having hallucinations because she's been drugged yeah and gondo shows up to the jail because uh katsu has been going on about scorpion is trying to kill her she's in jail right now with me (laughs) it's like well i better go and just check on this i mean that sounds insane but i'd love to have the chance
1: Yeah, I mean, she shouldn't be in this jail because I lit the entire city's water supply on fire.
0: (laughs) It was very bad for my career.
1: (laughs) I can't believe I still have a job.
0: (laughs) So the the guard says there's this new prisoner. Yeah. Gondo's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, I'll... I I just need to see Katsu alone. I, I don't want anyone else interfering with this. And... The cloth baby gets thrown into Katsu's cell by some unseen figure. I mean, obviously it's Scorpion, but. Of course. Uh, Katsu freaks out. And. Yep. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I assume it's Scorpion. She probably had it on her, maybe in her mop bucket, because she's out just mopping the hall, as we'll find out in a moment. But, because uh, it's right before Gondo shows up. That would explain
1: where she got the fishing wire that she uses, actually. It could have been, Scorpion could have smuggled it to her in the baby.
0: I would have to assume. Like, to,
1: to, to tie, but used it, quote-unquote, to tie up, you know, to tie up the cloth baby, to make it have
0: a head. Yeah, I, I have no idea. But, like, she clearly have has provided her the weapon in some way. And, yeah, she garrots the person at the door because she thinks it's scorpion uh, but it's gondo <laughs> fucking rip he gets strangled by this other lady because scorpion does not even care to to kill him off she took his arm that was enough
2: uh-huh.
0: if he wants to keep and looking for vengeance he can fucking get killed that's too bad
1: <laughs> of course she turns around to look at him and he looks at her but it's too late
0: yeah she's on mop duty she just watches him die and then then... the funniest text in the like just absolutely hysterical end credits text 10 days later scorpion served out her term and was released (laughs) (laughs) just like, like everything's
1: black with a spotlight over the mop bucket
0: yeah that's so funny just the idea like well, yeah, yeah she, she got what she wanted, and then, uh, yeah, she got out of jail because uh, they didn't realize it was her. <laughs> Gondo might have realized, but too bad. He's dead now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we got this cool shot of, like, posters on fire falling from the sky.
0: Yeah, the wanted posters. Uh, real motif in the movie, the wanted posters everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sort of, I I guess, part of a theme of someone's criminal past uh, being unshakable no matter what else they may do. Because, you know, in this one, Scorpion is obviously doing just a regular job, and her criminal past keeps coming back to haunt her. Like the wanted posters. Well, she did escape from jail. She is still wanted. Like, she is an active criminal in a sense, but also they made her a criminal, in they the did. first place like they forced her into crime so it's this whole complicated thing
1: yeah it's it's about it's about the patriarchy creating monsters or just ruining lives and then getting upset when someone decides to do something about it
0: yeah so uh, uh that is the end of beast stable the third female scorpion or female convict scorpion movie and yeah it's it's another pretty Good movie. Uh not quite as strong as the other two, but yeah, it's uh it's got its bits in it that are fucking amazing.
1: Oh, it has some great moments, but I, I will say overall I think the other two are better. Maybe yeah. not maybe this one isn't a whole Star Below. Maybe like like you say, maybe it's only a half star.
0: Yeah, I, I go with a half star, but I I, I liked it a, a fair amount, and there are like, this one made me laugh more than any of the others by far, and True. intentionally so.
1: <laughs> there are some funny, funny bits in this.
0: This is a movie that really knows how to use its comedy in surprising ways. They, they just kind of come out of nowhere because it is able to be extremely, relentlessly brutal and bleak, and then it will have something that's just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking dog. It, it hits you with the absurdity of it. The dog scene is incredible, lyrical, beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a happy dog running through the streets <laughs> with this severed arm and then, like, curled up on a curb, just happily chewing away at it. Traffic going by, people going by, nobody even cares.
1: Uh, I wanted the end credits... To just be like superimposed over the dog running around with the arm, but it's just that would have been good. Now.
0: That would have been really great. Just the, the the with with the whole uh skeleton arm just running around uh with it like with rattling on the ground and stuff. With the with the song, of course. Foolish, yes.
1: foolish,
0: baka, baka, yeah. Oh, oh boy, <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's good. I I like it a lot. Not as much as the other two. Uh, my understanding is the fourth one is a little bit lesser as well. Uh, yeah. It is it's the only one that's by another director, and it's sort of uh, I I you know it's it's sort of a studio mandated thing to do another one, I guess, because you know, usually you'd would, you would get with, with the other ones, it's all the same directors. So this is sort of the studio sequel rather than. Uh, the original creative presence. So that could be an issue. But, you know, it is still Mm Mikokaji.
1: Well, you you couldn't replace the lead actor.
0: No, there's no one else who could be Scorpion. That death glare is completely essential.
1: Yeah, without that, you you don't have the character.
0: Yeah. So the question is, uh, do we do... Like uh, for adding to the stacks, are we adding what is the fourth one by the way? I cannot uh, the
1: fourth the one is 701's Grudge Song.
0: 701's Grudge Song uh, versus, of course, the next one in the stack is uh, Buster Keaton's The Cameraman.
1: Oh, right, right, right. Uh, well, we do only have one more of these.
0: That is true. So, uh, so throw that one on there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Then we can finish that up at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. this year <laughs> most likely well,
1: next year it'll be next because year we don't for have certain,
0: another episode this, this year. is this is the final episode of twenty twenty two and it will be going up in uh right right before the end of twenty twenty two yeah, we'll be recording right the on, next one
1: yeah. yeah, right on New year's Eve or day. I don't know which oh yeah, yeah, that's right,
0: all right, well, uh, any last thoughts before we move on to part two
1: uh no, I think we've covered it.
0: And we're back for part two, where we're talking about the siege of Firebase Gloria. I believe the first war picture we've covered, certainly the first Vietnam War picture we've covered. I don't know if it is the first war. It might be. I'd have to look. We Uh, did cover Spartacus, which is arguably a war film, but there's a war in it.
1: Yeah, we, we did JSA, which... Yeah, it's is not a war a Cold film, war. but it's an army film.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is the first like war combat movie we've covered and uh, uh, certainly the first Vietnam one we've covered. And it's a real, uh, I, I don't want to say derivative in a negative sense, but it's, you know, it comes in 89, it is well into the vietnam movie cycle when all the big ones have come out by this point
1: yeah i i actually watched the trailer and all the all the lines that they put in the trailer are just lines that you expect to hear in every vietnam yep. movie like this is vietnam
0: <laughs> yeah um... i <laughs> i i totally watched the trailer first as well it's exactly the same thing in mine is like this looks a little cliched, <laughs> <laughs> but it's Wings Hauser saying this is Vietnam. True, and it's it's fun the way it plays with the tropes. Like I, I when I use the word derivative to describe it, I, I kind of mean more in the scientific sense, where it does feel like this condensed derivative extract, like the most uh, condensed exploitation vietnam film uh you coming near the end of the cycle because it's very crazy
1: it, it is i think i think this is the movie where it finally clicked for me what's the difference between exploitation and satire because mm. i thought they were one and the same and they're not but no. they, there is some overlap
0: there's often some uh similarities uh satire can be non-exploitation ex- non-exploitation but uh Exploitation and yeah, exploitation often is not satirical in nature. It's just uh cynical, typically. It's it's usually very cynical. Mm, I'd say this one is. <laughs> oh, this is a cynical, deeply uh just angry movie. Everybody's angry. Nobody has a has a good time. It's uh, Vietnam.
1: This 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 is Vietnam. <laughs> this, this is Vietnam. Nebraska.
0: Well, I mean, like it's for for like Criterion film heads, this is like it, it's got some Come and See esque stuff. Uh, come and See being this uh, very important uh, Eastern Bloc film about atrocities of war uh, there, and there is this sequence in <clears throat> the the sequence early in this movie where they uncover just a massacred town and just. There's piles and piles of dead bodies uh, just Ooh. stacked up. And, and like that is a scene straight out of Come and See, which is, you know, commonly cited as one of the most soul crushing movies in the Criterion collection.
1: Yeah, see, when I saw the child corpse pile, I thought this yeah. movie would be a lot, a lot harder to digest. But that's about as bad as it gets, really, as the uh, child corpse pile.
0: Yeah, they get it out of the way real early. And it's like, by the way, child corpse piles, just to keep that in mind, because we're going to have one survivor of the child corpse pile who is the mascot.
1: Yeah. Um, heads on spikes, though. They they, they oh, turned yeah. that into funny.
0: Yeah, the just severed heads. Uh, uh, Ermi er- 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 doing improv with severed heads is, for me, <laughs> the highlight of the film, for sure.
1: So did, how much... I got to wonder how much of Ermi's dialogue, Arlie Ermi, of course, uh, the, yeah. the other lead, uh, depending on how you look at it, he's either the, he's the protagonist or, or it's wings, but he is the narrator
0: necessarily.
1: How, yeah. How much of it is improv? I feel every time he's yelling.
0: Uh, yeah. I think all of the, uh, in the moment stuff where he's yelling does feel like it's got a certain Arlie Ermi energy to it. And especially when he gets loud, uh, it, it just it has that cadence. It's clearly something that he's at least worked up because he's someone who has personal familiarity with it. Like he was brought on originally to films for a while as an advisor on this stuff before he was an actor on this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like famously, uh, <clears throat> Full Metal Jacket, he was mm-hmm. to advise the drill sergeant actor, that then they just let him do it.
0: Well, they, they it's it's more complex than that. Uh, where he lobbied to do it and they really had to work him through uh they they put him through like an actor boot camp where they they treated it like stanley kubrick was his drill sergeant oh shit they they did a whole thing oh wow this one was clearly not as rigorous and he did not really get the voice actor part of it yet he i think he does some good voice acting in the '90s, maybe I, I'm sure he's done some children's movies because everybody knows the Sergeant Gunny. Like, th- there's so many variations of him, even in just like surely there's a DreamWorks where there is a Sergeant Gunny, basically. Oh, probably you know? there. There must be. <clears throat> um, I could see him showing up in Paw Patrol. Quite honestly,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I could see it. I, I could. Um... Wings Hauser, though, uh, I'm going to say it. This is the best acting performance I've seen out of him.
0: It's a whole ass performance. He's got a complete arc. He's very interesting. He doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But he, he like the it's sort of like the Silent Night, Deadly Night thing where it's you do get an experience of, well, if you had spent an entire half of your life fighting in Vietnam, you'd probably be pretty fucked up like this guy
1: yeah yeah uh i love the scenes though where he gets drunk and he's because i don't know if he's just really good at acting drunk or if he just actually gets drunk before all these scenes
0: it's hard to say i would say that he certainly has a familiarity with being drunk we've certainly (laughs) seen him be drunk on screen because champagne and bullets Uh, there (laughs) is some drunk acting not acting drunk but drunk acting (laughs) I just remember one of the
1: comments you showed me on that is Wingshauser is so very very drunk (laughs)
0: yeah Uh, and this one it feels much more measured so I I think in this one so we kind of skipped over it but this is an Osploitation movie in a weird sort of way it's made in the Philippines it's mostly american actors but it is by an australian director it's an australian film production okay
1: interesting (laughs) it does it does feel a little different from an american movie in a way that i couldn't quite put my finger on
0: it has that osploitation energy which is usually more stunt forward it has a lot of added violence that they just you know they're they're going to get away with more of it because they do not have the same codes and they they just don't need to worry about them that much
1: oh okay that explains quite a bit and just in, in terms of,
0: uh, there, there's a really great documentary called That's Osploitation that sort of tracks the history of it. I think Stone is the major first one. I watched that a little while back. It's about a biker gang where one of them's tripping on acid and he sees a political assassination. And then the assassin starts trying to take out the whole biker gang. So they have to put an undercover cop in the biker gang.
1: Brian Bosworth.
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't really want to do gang. it though. <laughs> your gang sucks. take some acid and join our gang man is like well maybe (laughs) take
1: some acid but i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna join
0: your gang we'll just see how good the acid is all right bro uh but yeah i i um as an osplaytation movie it's amplified the violence is pretty intense it's really fucking gory sometimes in this movie I, i was i think i mentioned and i
1: I don't have anywhere close to an accurate count, but I feel like this is the most on-screen killings that I've seen in a movie ever.
0: I mean, it's, yeah, there, there's so many. It's it's an insanely violent movie. It is a really gory war movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and it
1: kind of revels in the gore, not like something mm. like Saving Private Ryan.
0: Yeah, this is uh, definitively exploitation. It it doesn't have the reverence of something like Platoon or uh, the austerity and chilling nature of Full Metal Jacket. It's definitely pulling from those as sources, but it's having a lot more fun with it. This is an action movie that just deals with a real conflict that is still pretty close to modern memory, mm-hmm. especially at the time this came out.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we we start off... With our, our squad, we've got, we've only got four people whose names we actually learn. They're the ones that, and only two of those actually really matter. We got really, yeah. Arlie Ermy as Major Sergeant, and his name is said exactly once, mm. and I didn't write it
0: down. It's Sergeant Major, <clears throat> excuse me, Sergeant Major Bill Hafner.
1: Okay. It's Arlie Ermy though. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's, he's just Ermy. It's, it's him <laughs> doing, it's, it's Gunny. Yeah, It's Gunny in action.
1: Yeah, uh and we got DiNardo, played by Nard. <laughs>
0: Nard. Corporal who, Nard.
1: uh this this guy's a whole character. Holy shit. This this guy is an interesting individual. And like you say, he doesn't make sense, but he makes sense in his own world.
0: Yeah, he is so fascinating. It is the sort of uh character that would probably be very boring in most versions of this movie, but casting Wingshauser does really bring it to life.
1: Yeah. Like, like he's got, he is <clears> the perfect <throat> casting choice for this kind of thing. Cause he can do the, like he can do, he has the physique of like a hardened Marine, but he can also do all the, all the facial expressions. Like he can do the thousand yard stare the, I was there in Vietnam, man. He can do that.
0: Well, and it's also what we talked about when we were naming him our MVP of the year. It's that he has this live wire intensity that you're sort of convinced with whatever wild shifts are needed for the character, because it's just you you write a character kind of off kilter and you don't m- bother to fit the things together just by his energy and the way he lives his world in the way he <laughs> lives in the world. uh. You get it. It's like okay, yeah, he's Wings Hauser. I, I sort of understand. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, like I thought that I, I was actually thinking this movie. You could argue that uh, the cop from Tough Guys Don't Dance lived this movie before he went on to be a cop in that one.
2: <laughs>
1: he uh, doesn't though. But not they're not uh, the I, same guy.
0: Not not really a spoiler, but sort of a spoiler. I do love that the final line of the movie is "End of story, Nard." <laughs> Uh, hmm. Both of these are movies that I cracked up laughing at the final line or text. <laughs> uh, I, I
1: didn't, I didn't laugh the first time, but the second time I did.
0: <laughs> it
1: was just so he's reading off the dog tag, and then he just goes, "End of story, Dard."
0: <laughs> to the credits, tearfully.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh.
1: Wow. And our two other guys on the squad, uh, Shortwave and uh, Murphy. So to give you an idea of how much they matter, Murphy has a girl back home, so he's going to oh, die. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know it immediately. Shortwave has 17 days left on his tour, so he's going to die.
0: And yeah, he, he's black. You're not going to last those. Yeah, no, uh, totally, totally uh, not going to get anywhere.
1: Yeah, like you might as well slap red shirts on him.
0: Yeah. And they notice that something's going on. Uh uh Mm-hmm.
1: This village, uh, they had been through here a few times before. They were friends with the locals and all that, uh, that we learned through Ermi's narration.
0: And, uh, yeah. Not great narration. The narration, as I said, it's flat. It doesn't really feel in any way like the character we've been watching in the movie, or that we are watching at the time.
1: Yeah, um,
0: it's... It's not great. It works. It's passable. Like, it's yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, but it does not have the appropriate energy. It it is, I would say, the largest detriment in the film. Yeah, but a lot of the time, it's just not there. True, you don't have to a do ton it. of it. Uh, but it, it is definitely the the most clashing element of the film. Every time his narration comes on, both because it's a Vietnam movie, you don't need a whole lot of of narration. It would have been fine to just give us some text. Uh, in places, I don't really feel like I learned that much from his narration. And it definitely always took me out of it because his energy is just off. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, you know, he's got to say all the all the lines that we already know, like it yeah. was supposed to be a a routine patrol.
0: Of course.
1: Uh, we, we get all the Vietnam War movie lines in this.
0: It, it is completely jam packed with cliches. It kind of feels like a best of Vietnam. Ah, uh, best of Vietnam in cinema, and then let's just add a bunch of grindhouse to it.
1: <laughs> you know, right? yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Yeah, and that rules. Like, uh, spoilers. This movie's kind of a fucking banger. <laughs> it's it's pretty fun. There, there uh, are problems, but it's a wild ride.
1: Yep. So uh, we're about. 20 seconds so yeah they they explore they go and patrol this village that should have been a routine patrol and uh, 20 seconds in and we've got our severed heads and uh, children's corpse pile
0: they really throw you in the deep end immediately with this fucking massacred village
1: yeah and then but (laughs) Ermi's narration it's like well we were he's like talking about how (laughs) they were friends with them so it really hurt us to see their heads on stakes. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like,
0: is this supposed to be funny? Because well, it is. Well, again, because especially it, the line itself is funny and Arlie Ermy with his narration cannot sell it. If he were saying it like in person to the severed heads in some sort of way, uh, I think he could sell it. But. In the narration, he cannot, and it sounds so half-hearted and is like, well, you know, it really hurt our feelings to see these people that we knew and kind of liked uh, with their heads on stakes. That's a shame.
1: Oh, man, yeah, <laughs> he could have grabbed one of the heads and says, it really hurts my feelings to see my friends treated like that. That would have done it.
0: I would have believed it in the moment if Arlie Ermy were yelling it. Yeah, yeah. He we... yells at severed heads in this movie. Come on. this <laughs> He whole does. Thing. Uh, he's uh, certainly not precious about carrying them around (laughs) no
1: (laughs) Uh, it really hurt our feelings though (laughs) 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 like it's that much enthusiasm
0: and and that that is a question I have about this movie and I have no idea there's no special features on this we watched the Kino disc which is I think going out of print right now so you're interested in this movie, I don't know. There might be a cooler edition coming sometime in the future. This one doesn't even have subtitles. No subs. Uh, but uh, it, I wonder how ironic this movie is. I don't know if this movie is cynical, if it's tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it Politically, it's really all over the map at times. It does <laughs> seem to be... There are times where I'm like, is this movie saying the Vietnam War was good or the and then later like it it seems like it's well America had to be there because uh, the the bad guys are really bad but then much later in the movie it kind of shifts to a thing of this whole country has been so unbelievably destabilized by being the proving ground for all the new technology of the Soviet Union and America Uh, and they're just like a small rural place and they've just been decimated. And the whole culture is just spiraling.
1: Yeah. Like I love the one line. We don't get to see a lot of the Vietnamese uh, commander and his little guy, but Mm. there is one line where the, where the guy says like, man, all this politics sucks. And he's just like, yeah, especially when you have to die for them.
0: Yeah. I kind of like that guy. (laughs) Kind of a likable
1: villain. Kinda, yeah. Like he'll still—he seems more human than uh, Donardo.
0: Yeah, although it's weird because they kind of uh, come to the same. They—they're both. Uh, they both seem to care about that kid quite a bit. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'll—I'll mm-hmm. um, I'll give the villain. Well, obviously the villain's gonna care about the kid. He's like, oh my god, I'm gonna save one of our own from
0: these Americans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wingshauser has his hands on that child. We've got to take it away. <laughs> Don't, who gave Wingshauser a child? Holy shit. D- is he going to have it for lunch? This is terrifying. He he looks like he's going to take a bite out of the kid, but he is uh, obviously, They they rescue this kid from the massacre. It's the only survivor in the whole village.
1: Yep, yep. This little boy that they find in the village and they basically adopt him.
0: Yeah, it, Wings specifically. Wings specifically, kind of specific Because yes. he lost his own kid. We don't learn this until way, way, way later.
1: Yeah, we get one conversation that hints at it, and then one that talks about it and Wings is like, no, we're not talking about this. Yeah. So, you know, that whole uh, toxic masculinity thing, you know, don't talk about your feelings. Don't do that.
0: Well, it, it's also, this is a very Australian thing too, not talking about your feelings, but also just being kind of, uh, uh, much more interesting you you set up the thing and then you go, no we're not going to do that dramatic bullshit, fuck you <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that we got some of that as well in Masturbating Gunman and there is an Australian film I watched earlier today that had a fair amount of that.
1: Okay, cool cool, that is kind of one of my favorite things to do <laughs> that uh, the, I've never mastered the art of it is like setting up that you're going to do one joke and then just being like yeah, just blue balls. i just being like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not even going to do a
0: replacement <laughs> joke. Uh, uh, yeah, it's tough. You, you, you have to do it like it, it only lands if you craft it just right.
1: It's hard. And I thought it would be easy. And I've tried it a few times on the show and it's never worked. I don't think. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this is during or at the very beginning of uh, the Tet Offensive. I don't know my Vietnam history, so I don't know if this is a real thing. So Tet,
0: yes, it is a real thing. So Tet okay. is the main religious holiday there, and okay. they figured, well, there's it, it's uh, the the general scuttlebutt is that no, they're obviously not going to have an offensive because they all lay down arms and celebrate. So yeah. that that is like Christmas uh, I, I, in Full Metal Jacket. They describe it as Christmas, New Year's, and uh, Fourth of July all rolled into one. Right, right. Uh, so they but... have no way – they they do not think that there's anything that's going to happen during Tet. But then the Tet offensive is the surprise that uh, they all launched this huge surprise attack that night.
1: It was the best PR move of the whole <laughs> war.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or or the best yeah pr i believe
0: that is what he says yeah
1: that is yeah yeah this is the beginning of that they're they they massacred this village because you know they were friendly to the americans and now they're going to go and basically attack every single american base that they can get their hands on um, yeah
0: well it's it's not it, it's sort of bubbling under they, this isn't quite the the offensive but they are getting into place and these are guys who are like holy shit, the Tet Offensive is about to happen. (laughs) They're they're going to launch this big attack, and they want to get somewhere to contact people to be like, hey, this is going to go down, Uh, which is also something that comes up in Full Metal Jacket. They have a whole sequence of, you know, we've been hearing isolated reports from all over the place that there's a bunch of movement going on, and like, no, no, it's Tet. It will never happen.
1: That's like asking us to shoot guns on Christmas. We wouldn't do that, so we have to assume that they wouldn't either.
0: There's a whole movie about that. Uh, oh. A Midnight Clear about this actual time where there was just this uh, impromptu ceasefire in, I want to say, World War One, Maybe it was even World War Two. I don't know. It's like, they they all got together on Christmas and just... Hung out and exchanged gifts.
1: I heard about that actually happening. I think it was yeah. World War One.
0: Yeah, and there there's a movie uh, about it called A Midnight Clear that's pretty good. Hmm, right on, right on. Uh,
1: that's not what's happening here, though. They are not uh, going to celebrate Christmas together. No. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, they just... They're like, holy shit, this is crazy. They just massacred this village. Yeah, we got to tell people. So they go on a, a bit of a journey uh, where they're trying to find people to tell about this offensive that's going on. And just they end up lighting everything on fire after they end up passing through it. And I was hoping it would yeah. be a running thing. And it kind of is for the beginning.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you that, that's that's the way of war
1: yeah they they light the massacred village on fire um they find a cave where there's a wounded american soldier and this poor guy he's been rescued but he just keeps getting dropped left behind
0: Um, he does not make it out does he he i
1: I think he eventually does get out
0: Um, oh he does survive i can't even remember the dude's name he he's not much of a presence we see him just kind of we check in with him lying on a stretcher a bunch
1: yeah he doesn't know his name he's been so, so shell shocked so we don't learn it he's just the casualty
0: right yeah
1: And, uh, yeah, we check in with him a whole bunch. Usually he's being carried to all these different places and getting dropped. Corporal
0: Uh, load reporting for carrying.
1: (laughs) You got to carry the load. (laughs) Nard. Nard. (laughs) Great
0: names. Great names.
1: (laughs) Shortwave's the radio guy.
0: Of course uh very like they're almost GI Joe names like as i said when we were when i was describing this movie or maybe maybe i'm thinking of stone cold because these movies have kind of a similar tenor uh kind of. despite being very different scenarios uh, uh it does have a GI Joe feel they have GI Joe-esque names and they uh just the the violence of it it's more GI Joe retaliation uh style where it's you know the the way you remember G.I. Joe, not the way it is. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they find a fishing village. They're like, hey, are there any Viet Cong here? And the guy's like, no VC, only fishmen. And Ermi's like, yeah, I'll bet it is. And of course, of course, you know, it is VC. And they have to do a they have to do a big massacre and murder everybody. They're They're going to do that a lot. They're going to murder
0: a lot of people. Yeah, it's this part of the film that was very uncertain. Was like, I don't really know where this is going, and it it doesn't really ever take any sort of stance on uh, morality. So it it is sort of wild because most of the major American Vietnam films up to this point, you know, all pretty much all the major ones are heavily about the morality. So to have all these sequences where they're just like massacring entire villages. I mean, to be fair, these these other guys did draw weapons first.
1: They did. And, uh, you know, they the the Americans are on edge because a big friggin offensive appears to be happening. Oh, and that's what they learned from the wounded guy is that, yeah, they're moving thousands of soldiers for some reason.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, they're they're on edge and the guy did pull out a gun first and they did get a lot of guns out of this fishing village. Like we see the pile of yeah. enemy guns after they would killed them all.
0: Yeah, the, it, it was just a stronghold. Like, they, they were clearly just a uh, a group sort of lying in wait for American soldiers to gun them down.
1: Yeah, and this time it didn't work.
0: No, because uh, Arlie Ermi and Wings Hauser were on the case.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Donardo and I had some tension that that would need to be resolved, but now was not the time. I needed my best rifleman covering my back. I guess they do address the tension a little bit, but not really. Occasionally. A little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's the thing about Vietnam. It's like you never really know who's going to be who's going to be your ally because you're the invading force if you're the American army. Technically, yeah. like none of these people should be happy to see you in theory. Although, well, of course, it's a lot more complicated.
0: Yeah, it's it's much more complicated than that. A lot of people specifically were because they were on the side that the American government was propping up. You know, yeah. two, two different groups. But of course, uh, there's also just the whole general problem of uh, opposing forces coming through and killing them or replacing them. And it, it is part of that whole thing of just this insanely destabilized region because it's really late in the war. We're seventeen years in, as we find from <laughs> Wingshauser earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah, or so, later rather. So, is my understanding, uh, based on this, is like is the Viet Cong like its own independent thing?
0: Well, they're, they are an army. The the Viet yeah. Cong are, uh, uh, they are one of the two fighting forces. Right. So the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. God, I got to learn more about this shit. It's so important. So, so yeah, they massacred the fishing village, which, of course, is just an ambush. They even got, like, nice boats just off of the, just far enough that you can't see them that came in when the shit went down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> they dropped the friggin' wounded guy on his stretcher on the ground and, like, guns kept, like, firing around him and bullets, like, right beside his head. This is going to be a recurring theme for this guy, this poor fucking man.
0: Oh, he's already shell-shocked. I mean, what what is it going to do to him now?
1: Yeah, and then to get into a chopper, this is the first time we mentioned about Wing's son, because he's talking about the kid that he rescue-abducted. Rescued. He rescued It's a him.
0: rescue. There,
1: he, there was nobody else alive. He rescued him. He was
0: literally yeah. the last person in a corpse pile.
1: Yeah, 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 you're right. It's a rescue. And the kid survives.
0: Yeah, but he, he stays in Vietnam. He gets taken by Bowser.
1: <laughs> he so gets taken by bowser oh man <laughs> i hope i don't forget that when we get there he says to ermy he's like oh hey well he doesn't look anything like jimmy but he's sure got that sparkle in his eye don't he and Ermi's just like doesn't get any easier does it nard and to nard, like wings the delivery of this line is so not how you expect this reaction to be but it's so Wingshauser he just pauses looks at him makes kind of a goofy look and he says nope
0: yeah you know he, he does it big uh, I, I just want to say Nard as the affectionate term as the emotional term anytime he's kind of being personal with him calling him Nard uh, it's always funny It it's <laughs> never not funny to me every time <laughs>
1: it's really funny especially since he gets shot at the Nards
0: yeah that's like a big Uh, australian thing that that is in a lot of australian movies people getting shot in the shot in the deck
1: (laughs) and of course our chopper gets shot down on the way to firebase gloria they're able to land but the thing blows up uh we do get an aerial view of the base where we're going to spend the whole rest of the movie Uh, to call it a uh, yeah to call it a base is generous
0: it's like it's World War One esque. It it feels like yes. World War One trench warfare that they're engaging in. It's a dugout. Yeah,
1: like yeah, they're not even buildings. They're just they've stacked sandbags up on top of each other to like make makeshift command centers and all that. But yeah, uh, like one guy even says like, "Hey, this base is not defensible. We cannot defend the base. Well, we're gonna try and do it."
0: Yeah, well, I mean, a fire base is literally a temporary base. Like, it's it's a support base. Uh, it's just a temporary encampment. So that's all they have. They don't even have any sort of permanent encampment that they can approach. They're just too no. far away from the front. Or yeah, too far yeah. away from any, anything that's actually going on.
1: Yeah, they, they have to get all their stuff from helicopters, uh, like supply airdrops and stuff like that. And the helicopters can't get there right now because the because you know the base is already kind of surrounded
0: yeah and also the people who uh work there are fucking oblivious at least the
1: they they are clueless we're gonna visit him next the uh commanding officer whose name we also i don't think we learn but it doesn't matter
0: uh it is williams
1: okay uh yeah so this made me laugh because ermie's like who's where's your commanding officer and it's like oh man he's in there he's it's five o'clock, so he's jerking off. He must have done it twice by now. And it's like, ha ha, yeah, they're making fun of him for jerking off. Nope, that's what he's doing.
0: Well, it also just kind of sounds like uh, the the sort of joking thing that you would get uh, in a military movie. This, this sort of feels like they kind of land briefly in Apocalypse Now, and then Arlie Ermey just yells it down. <laughs>
1: That's basically what happens, yeah. And I don't like, want to
0: deal with any of that psychedelic shit.
1: Yeah, he, he's trying to apocalypse now. Him is like, Do you know about history? Have you read this book or that book? See the history. And Wingshauser's just looking at this guy like, What the fuck? Yeah,
0: he, he is completely burnt out. I, I, I would say that uh, being in Vietnam has destroyed his mind, so he is just getting stoned and has uh, refused duty.
1: Oh, oh, the commander guy? Yeah 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 he's completely naked of course too yeah and
0: uh yeah to ta- get a section eight out of vietnam it's very difficult to do you just go insane until you die <laughs> it's not yeah. like uh the korean war in uh it's not like max Clinger in mash
1: yeah yeah so uh, they they go back and forth a bit and uh the guy pulls up a porn mag and is like does this girl have the best tits you've ever seen and wings is like yeah yeah she totally does let's get the fuck out of here and i love this interaction later like right afterwards between wings and Ermi, where he's like i think we need a change of command sir
0: well yeah he's clearly implying that they should kill the guy that they should frag the uh, other that's that's what you call it. You, you frag the commanding officer because he is in a position where he is going to get everyone else killed. So you take him out for the safety of the unit.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Ermi's like, no, 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 I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. Don't say that shit until nightfall.
0: He he also has the caveat, that, like, we can't kill him.
1: Yeah, it, it's basically like Wings says, okay, it's nightfall. Can I kill him? It's like, don't kill him. Just, you know wound him a little the coordination of which they did this tells me that they've done this before
0: absolutely well, like he didn't even need to say the words he just needed to uh vaguely allude to what he's talking about for him to know like oh yeah i mean i i know i know how we do this yeah they've yeah, been so doing this for 17 years
1: that's ridiculous that's insane to me like
0: there there's that part i, I don't know wings hauser is isn't where, a
1: guy with a normal life who went to vietnam to become got fucked up there no he, vietnam was his normal life
0: because there's a part where like and, and it stands out of my mind it's why i i remember how long he's been in vietnam because he says that he joined when he was 17 and i was watching it and like Wingshauser. hauser is so far from seventeen that that is absurd to me that he start that he came to Vietnam at the age of seventeen. I mean it the world age you, but you don't become wingshauser old in like five years and it's like no, oh, and now i'm thirty four and like holy shit, you've been to Vietnam for seventeen fucking years Wow,
1: yeah yeah, like this man has never experienced normal life. he's just living in war, yeah. Yeah, um I don't think this is a guy who could go back.
0: No, he he is uh he he is a Rambo type, I guess. But a Rambo type who just keeps on fighting the fight until it destroys him.
1: Yeah. They basically do like a false flag. Army fires a grenade from a grenade launcher out out there and it's like we're under attack and Wings fires one at the command center and there's a bunch of gunfire and then it's like okay we're not under attack anymore i guess
0: yeah so he just fires one into the command center to just uh, uh burn him up a bit
1: yeah yeah just just don't kill him just you know wound him a little bit maybe dismember him some just just don't kill him
0: you frag him you you hit him yeah. with a fragment uh, a frag device
1: <laughs> so now now that he's out of the out of commission, he's in a coma or whatever. Arlie uh, Ermy is in charge of the base, and oh my god, his solution is to just yell at everything until the base is defensible.
0: Yeah, yell things into order. It's it's him becoming Gunny for the rest of the movie. Like, on the go, it's hard for him to do that. But once he's able to just yell at a bunch of people to do things for him, it's like, oh, yeah, I see why you uh, cast Arlie, Arlie Ermy here. He's obviously playing the character again.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and there's so many scenes of him just walking around while everyone else is working. Him not doing anything and just yelling we're going to fortify this place and protect it like it was your daughter's cherry.
0: And then it it is also extremely full metal jackety in the writing, which I, I do feel like a lot of that has to come from Ermi and the way he actually yelled at people as a drill sergeant.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They find a combat photographer and Ermi's reaction is just, what the fuck is that?
0: He's not into the press. Well, are you, how, how are you. Yeah, I wouldn't have even expected that.
1: Yeah, no kidding. It's like, man, I'm a conscientious objector, man. I'm just here to take pictures, man. Well, give me all your weed. That's not cool, man. And Wingshauser is just like, hey, man, can I keep him?
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he has to set him to work.
1: Oh, yeah. Because, you know, combat photography is. Okay, I don't feel it's useless, but in this particular situation when they're getting they're going to get fucked, it's,
0: you know. Well, it's less important at this point.
1: Yeah, Uh, that's that's what I want
0: to say. They're they're all going to get fucking overrun. Uh, Nobody's going to see those pictures. Those pictures aren't going to really get taken. You know, it is the sort of momentous event that you do want to have photographs of. And uh, you can't really force a conscientious objector to shoot people. Uh, That's that is kind of against the geneva conventions and shit i think
1: yeah well Wingshauser can't follow the geneva convention because he can't read
0: he's a man of war
1: <laughs> well I, I don't know about the can't read part but he does not care about the geneva convention
0: of course not he is executing prisoners left and right in this movie oh and he's getting mad at other people when they won't yeah or calling him out for it Like, hey, I thought you were going to be my love interest. You don't like me executing people in front of you? (laughs)
1: Yeah. We get the nurse character. Ermi finds out a few days in that this place has an infirmary. <laughs> I'm so glad that she's not a love interest.
0: She sort of vaguely is played that way for like a segment of the film. It kind of seems like she's interested in Nard, and Nard wants her to like him, but it's never like there's no time for love, Doctor Jones.
1: Yeah, no, there is not. But it yeah. does
0: kind of feel like she's nurse love interest when she shows up.
1: Kind of, yeah, but it it doesn't work out that way. Uh, and of course, yeah, Ermie butts heads with her as like, well, I don't think you ladies should be here, but I guess I can learn to live with it. And it's like you're not living with it; you're just taking over the whole thing and shitting all over the whole infirmary.
0: Uh, and the uh, the nurse is played by the wife of the director. Oh margaret trenchard smith i don't think i mentioned it at the top this is a film directed by brian trenchard smith who fucking rolls i'm actually a really big fan of his stuff okay cool uh he is well known for bmx bandits which was the first movie starring nicole kidman if i recall correctly oh shit she's just a rad bmxer Uh, I've watched that. Oh, it rules. We'll totally watch it sometime. Uh, He did Stunt Rock, which is kind of fucking crazy. Uh, Turkey Shoot, which uh, has a lion man riding like a little bulldozer. It's kind of a most dangerous game movie. Uh, He did Dead End Drive-In, which is a weird dystopian movie where it's a drive-in that when you go there, people take apart your car so you can't leave and then you become (laughs) part of the economy of the (laughs) drive-in. Yes. Oh, there, there's a bunch of his i have seen He's a very interesting director
1: Oh, right on Basically, it's just uh, different scenes of them getting ready for the offensive We do see the Viet Cong commander uh, This is the first time we see him and he's, Bowser uh, Yeah, <laughs> Commander Bowser I'm going to call him that from now on, I love it
0: I don't and think he has a character name otherwise I'm, I'm, I he, think he's just Viet Cong leader
1: No, he does uh, Ernie does he? mentions him by name because he says, well, in another conflict, he took over this base, and that pissed me off.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, is he, he does...
0: Calvan?
1: Yes, he's Calvan. That's what, who okay. he is.
0: So he is actually Filipino, because this is shot in the Philippines. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that is true of most exploitation. They tended to shoot them in the Philippines. It's cheaper than cheaper than shooting in Vietnam. Fair enough, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it's relatively convincing. I mean, Canada has been the U.S. in Hollywood for decades. Yeah, fucking Vietnam was played by England in fucking Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it it was shot in England. It was shot like in uh. Well, they, they they didn't do um, they they didn't do jungle fighting in in uh Full Metal Jacket. It's all city fighting.
1: Oh right, right. Because I, mm-hmm. I still haven't seen the second half of that.
0: Oh, it, it kind of rips. I I feel like it's really underrated, and it's uh, it's got a fairly significant influence on this. It's got some gore exploitation elements that are really interesting. It's just it, it has a bit more of an emotional resonance behind all of it. Mm. <laughs> this one's this one's having fun.
1: Yeah, this one. Uh, there's no. They don't want us to walk away from this questioning the war or feeling for the characters or any of that stuff
0: no it's it's we're just like wow what a fucking weird ride that was that was strange (laughs) some of that was horrifying and then some of that was like really exciting and kind of crazy silly fun
1: yeah yeah so a chopper arrives with supplies that uh that Ermi requested from wherever their main base is but of course they didn't take him seriously because nobody takes him seriously. It's like, no, there's not going to be an attack, man. Here's some, here's a few cases of beer. This is all you're getting.
0: It feels vaguely unbelievable to me that nobody would take Arlie or me seriously. He seems like the sort of voice that you would always take seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, it, it, it feels like a commentary on his capability as a voice actor where <laughs> I, I just hearing his voice detached from his body, uh, On as the narrator, I'm like, I don't know if I'd take his orders, but if he was yelling in my face, (laughs) definitely taking the man's orders. Oh, sure. You you don't even
1: have time to – you don't even have the luxury of time to think about it.
0: Yeah, so if you're just like calling that guy on the – if he's just calling them up on the phone or the radio, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe.
1: Yeah. The chopper gets mortared because the VC has arrived and set up their mortars, and the poor freaking wounded guy who was about to get airlifted gets dropped again. Yep. This guy's story arc is like uh, that scene from The Simpsons where Homer tries to jump over Springfield Gorge and then falls down. That's, oh. And then he just keeps falling down the cliff all these different ways.
0: A scene that that's truly haunted me as a child. I oh, I remember I love... watching that when it aired or the 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 first time it aired originally and that would have been what 1990?
1: Yeah, 1990.
0: I would have been 7 and I watched it and I it, it was like the last thing I could watch before bedtime, you know. And <laughs> it just like the image of that rattling through my head all night.
1: <laughs> oh, I left my ass off i still do every time <laughs> <laughs> oh i i
0: think it's hilarious but yeah the the first time i saw it it was mighty disturbing because it was very young
1: I, I guess yeah i was i would have been around nine or ten
0: yeah i but... saw it on the original airing i first whatever reason i got into the simpsons when they were on the tracy allman show because i was a weirdo kid who watched way too much tv <laughs>
1: Uh, I wasn't into it for that long But I did see the first episode As it aired
0: Hell yeah, the Christmas special
1: Yeah, where they uh, I was going to say where they watch Die Hard But no, Die Hard watches them uh, Where they they Shut down the power of the city Because they're No, no, that's a different one This is where they get Santa's Little Helper
0: Yeah, Santa's Little Helper Uh, Simpsons roasting on an open fire
1: Yeah, yeah So, yeah, after the supplies thing, we get (laughs) – here's the This is Vietnam speech. We get the two ladies approaching the base. Oh, yeah.
0: That's a a ridiculous sequence.
1: It is. It is. Um, And, like, Murphy, who – he hasn't even mentioned yet that he has a girl back home. So, you know, he might still be safe for a little bit. He's like, oh, hey, ladies. Hi. Hey, welcome to the base. Hold on. Just stay right there. But – you know we're gonna let you come in and all that and wade just
0: shows up The they are not convincing he is stupid oh yes, they, yes. they're like just shouting the same couple of things and they're like npcs
1: they're like hi american hi we love america
0: it it feels like, you know, you're, you've you got an event over here that, like, a character that the sprite is trying to attract you to. It's like, I don't want to, I, I don't think you'd trust that.
1: No, but <laughs> Wings just rips the rifle out of uh, Murphy's head and guns well, he, them down.
0: First, he orders him to gun them down, oh, but right, he yes. he won't do it.
1: Right right so yeah Murphy's like Fuck you and like he tries to take a swing At Wings Wings just grabs the gun And shoots the ladies and they
0: explode They fucking blow up In a gigantic fireball <laughs> there's gore There's just like body parts Flying everywhere like again Insanely gory movie Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And this is when He sends Murphy down he's like This is Vietnam That's the enemy <laughs> They don't send their girls to school with book bags. They send them to the bases with bombs and they blow you up. That's what war is, man.
0: Uh, it just occurred to me, I want Wingshauser to play the Joker. If there's anyone I want to see playing the Joker, it's Wingshauser.
1: Yes. Oh my god, Yes.
0: Um, it'd be such an interesting old joker like if they were doing sort of a dark knight returns sort of thing i wouldn't want them to actually do dark knight returns because i think it's super overrated <laughs> but an old joker sort of thing would be cool with wings hauser yeah like is he still, he alive? Is he still oh act? yeah uh, he did an interview on the tough guys don't dance sticks di- disc oh cool He's looking cool. good Right on right on he, uh, I think he still acts a lot. I, I think he's just a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. He seems like he'd be the type who just
1: has always got something on the go.
0: He could be retired. I'm, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page, and he, uh, his last credit in film is in Rubber. Oh, wow. Uh, he, where He's the guy in the wheelchair.
1: Right, right. Oh, I saw that movie way before I knew who he was, so I didn't I didn't recognize yeah. him.
0: Uh, yeah, so maybe he is sort of retired because it's also, uh, in terms of television appearances, it also ends at 2010. So he may oh. have retired, but you know he seems to be doing well. Oh, good,
1: good. Um, yeah, the perfect guy to deliver the This is Vietnam speech that every yeah. one of these movies oh, has of to course. have.
0: He is the obvious person to be delivering it in this movie, for sure. It, I mean, mm-hmm. you could have me do it but then it's like almost a hat on a hat he's already gunny yeah
1: i mean yeah you don't need to have him doing all the vietnam shit yeah so here is where we see the the vc attack on the american embassy in saigon
0: which mm-hmm. uh
1: it was the best well, pr move they ever did
0: th- um, this it, it looks very similar to i i'm sure it's heavily derived from uh, the 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 Tet Offensive sequence in Full Metal Jacket. Uh, it, it looks quite similar. It, it's kind of staged in a similar sort of way.
1: Hmm. So so I guess then they did actually attack the embassy.
0: Yeah, but this oh, is all okay. real. Yeah, the, the, oh, the Tet Offensive was fucking crazy. Damn, man. that's
1: that's that is crazy. That's like that's like action movie shit.
0: Yeah, I mean it it, it was literally this sort of thing where uh, the war did kind of seem to be dwindling, and then they just launched this one last ditch huge counterattack and it sort of just fell apart cuz they're like well and th- this is such an unpopular war
1: mhm well well yeah like at the end they're saying like the the Viet Cong lost so many people doing this Tet offensive that they don't really exist anymore
0: yeah uh more than 55,000
1: yeah so yeah we see that you know just to show us what the stakes are and that this force is
0: coming. So anyone's an enemy.
1: Anyone's an enemy. Yeah. <laughs> so here is, I think, the first like big assault where they're actually like coming up and running at the base. Uh, there's a bunch of these, and it's hard to keep them all straight because
0: it gets very World War One. It, it feels just like a trench warfare movie for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. So And and basically the rest of the movie is just them weathering assaults, uh, shooting
0: a bunch of people, having a couple of scenes where they. Justify themselves for their violence. it's weird. this whole sequence it it you sort of lose track of time in it., it it's, yes. it's hard to say how, how long things are taking, how distant anything is from anything. you It does sort of drift for a while. We see- but excitingly, because it's all fucking crazy action, gore bullshit.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we actually see the commander, uh, the the Vietnam commander, saying like, "Hey, if we don't win this in two days, we're not going to win this at all." And we're definitely not going to win this more in two days. Yeah, definitely more than uh, two nightfall sequences with day yeah. sequences in between. Oh yeah, and all and all of these end with like just fields of bodies, like like the scene at the beginning of the Good, the Bad, the Ugly.
0: Yeah, there's just tons of violence and gore. There's so much blood in this movie.
1: And here's where Wings orders Murphy. uh, He orders Murphy to kill all the wounded on the field because he doesn't want any surprises and to bring him a prisoner. And then he says, hey, Murphy, what's going on with you, man?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Murphy (laughs) has started to go unhinged, too.
1: Yeah, Murphy just looks at him and this is about the only thing that I remember about his character after the first time is when he says, looks at Wings and he says, everything.
0: Yeah, and he sort of starts to go off his nut and he becomes really weird for a while. But I don't really recall him doing anything substantial with it. It just seems like from the point of him seeing those two girls blow up, he it damages him, but then we don't really see much done with it. It just makes him vaguely more interesting of a character when he shows up.
1: Yeah, yeah. He hasn't had the time to process his PTSD and go for full war criminal or anything else for that matter. But he does do the killing of the wounded, yeah. which uh, a lot of people on both sides uh, take some umbrage with that. The nurse hates it. We didn't really talk about him, but Jones, uh, a guy who was out on a recon mission and came back to find that Ermi was in charge instead of a jerk-off guy. Right. Uh, he he's not cool with it. Uh the Viet Cong commander thinks they're freaking monsters. Uh
0: that that's uh the great uh Albert Popwell who is the guy who in Dirty Harry Clint Eastwood asks ask yourself, do you feel lucky? Oh shit. He's the he's the lucky guy.
1: <laughs> Didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so Wings gets his prisoner. Murphy does. Fi- he does find a prisoner for him. Uh, the guy he went out with to kill. Civ- he wanted to call him civilians to kill the wounded is uh, he gets killed by the Viet Cong. Yeah. Uh, last poor guy. We didn't learn your name. But, yeah, Wings is like torturing this prisoner that Murphy brought him in the infirmary. And the nurse is like, no, so stop t- it. What are you doing? Yeah. I told
0: you I don't like this
1: yeah she's like her exact words are so we torture prisoners now do we and so like, like, yeah god damn right we do this ain't nebraska
0: <laughs> like of course we do uh, haven't you got me yet yes
1: <laughs> i'm wings hauser and i'm in vietnam and i'm a loose cannon
0: like you you see me out there executing all these prisoners we are uh, definitely going hard with it
1: <laughs> And she's like what kind of animal are you and here he just goes into like He he does like the, I don't know what to call it, like the PTSD look.
2: The thousand yard stare.
1: Yeah, the thousand yard stare. He executes it perfectly. He goes off on the speech about all the horrible things that they'll do to her if they find her. And he's like, but they'll have to kill me first. I'm not
0: an animal. (laughs) I'm not an animal. Uh, He is kind of an animal, though. He is the animal. Yeah, Uh, yeah. He, but yeah, it's it's this is sort of the the, the scene where we sort of see that uh, his 17 years of war has kind of made him a uh, destabilized individual, much like this country.
1: Very destabilized. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit.
0: Unsustainable.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, night falls and it's time to time to take the offensive to the VC and get Wings to infiltrate their camp. And they've got the way the dialogue between these two is so weird because Ermi asks them like, do you think you could infiltrate this camp? And Wings goes, it's Friday night. You're in Bangkok and you got a fistful of dollars. Do you think you could get laid?
2: <laughs>
1: uh, well, uh, yes, I, I, I do believe I could. I think you could, too.
0: Yeah, uh, the the sort of really weird way of talking that these guys have, because they're like these two people who have survived this series of horrors for years and just, for whatever reason, keep coming back to the trough for more.
1: Yeah, two people who like kind of seem to have developed their own language.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I, I kind of see... We get it in the narration, but it. Well, we we get him talking about it in the narration, but the narration doesn't really feel it. But it, the narration tries to tell us that Ermi kind of feels like uh, looks to Donardo Wingshauser's character as like a son
0: that he yeah. had. Yeah, and and I yeah, it's it's not really sold. Uh, I I could see it because they are sort of that age range, mm-hmm. but um. Wings Hazard's character doesn't really ever feel like he needs a father figure. He just feels like he needs someone to uh, take him out of Vietnam and <laughs> get him into some therapy, maybe.
1: Yeah, he, he needs to go home, um, maybe take up painting and start a drug ring and and turn it into a laser tag arena.
0: Maybe just like put some guy in a crate. Yeah. I, I, yeah, he he could be that guy. He he does feel like he could be any number of Wingshauser Hauser characters after this. There's this movie Vice Squad, where he's a killer pimp called Ramrod, <laughs> and I could see uh I I could see Nardo turning into that guy.
1: Uh, I can see him turning into the cop from Tough Guys Don't Dance.
0: Sure, and and yeah. you you could totally see him being the L.A. bounty guy. Like he he is he contains multitudes. Yeah, yeah. Uh- like <laughs> it, it's it's all a matter of what ping-pongs him off. Like what what, what sort of direction he's going to go in. It's it's the Michael Myers quandary. Mm. What sets him off? Where where is he going to go? Ping pong and next. Yeah,
1: yeah. So infiltrating the camp they just put a bunch they just mostly just put a bunch of mines around the outside of like the command building and then leave but Murphy steps on a mine
0: oh no Murphy
1: uh he's gonna have to get saved by the Viet Cong and then become best friends with him but he can't tell anybody
0: (laughs) no that's not what happens no that's not gonna happen uh
1: really really cool what he does do though is he like does this whole thing where like he Balances like he slips the knife underneath the boot and then balances rocks on it so that it's pressing down on the landmine to get out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh,
0: and then when he comes, I think in, I've seen this in another Vietnam movie. I, I'm pretty sure this is borrowed from something else.
1: Oh, probably. I haven't seen it before, but probably.
0: I think they might do it in Platoon. Oh, Oliver Stone's big one. Have you ever seen that? No, it's no, one I, I saw a bunch. Seen it uh has it it was sort of like the big movie that launched uh willem Defoe, I think oh Where he's one of the main guys pretty good movie very very iconic uh uh Vietnam film, sort of one of like the really big fundamental ones
1: okay, cool, yeah there's another firefight, and then Murphy's in the medical bay, and here's where we find out that he has a girl back home, so now he can die.
0: He's three days away from retirement.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember, did you ever see Black Hawk Down? Never saw Black Hawk Down. Pretty decent movie, but uh, I it, it is one of those things in a war movie. It was the first one I recall watching uh, uh, whenever it was new, like going to a theater and seeing something like that and like having my knowledge of war movies because don't really see a lot of war movies in the 2000s, 90s. There wasn't a whole lot that were like blockbusters and sort of fell out of favor for a while. Uh, and it was one where someone had early in the movie, there's this guy telling a bunch of backstory and he's the funny guy. And he's like, Oh, that guy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I recall seeing that uh, in a movie in theater, that's like a new movie and like, Oh wow. Yeah. I know this trope.
1: <laughs> uh, Yep. So we get a few more, a few more assaults, a few more massacres. Uh, nobody important is dying just yet. And then we meet and Ermi's saying about how, well, I just wish that somebody back home at the home base didn't forget about us. And it's time for Heroic Helicopter Man.
0: You got to have like a, a, a an, an important airdrop.
1: Oh, yeah. This guy. Now, I don't know why this guy in particular is so determined to rescue this one base when nobody else is. And I don't know why nobody else is, but he is. But whatever. He, he's you got to have a character
0: guys. like that. There, there's yeah. got to be there's got to be a guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he's got an American flag bandana. So, you know, he's he's the real shit. So he's doing this whole thing where he's like going back and forth, running supplies, um, doing air support and stuff. Like, like, yeah, running real supplies. He does one bit where, like, he pulls out this captain pin because I guess he's that he got from God knows where.
0: Killing a captain, fragging a captain.
1: Oh, of course, I should have should have figured that out. Maybe. Uh, actually, isn't
0: he, he a captain? I, what is this character's name? I don't even remember.
1: I don't know, because <laughs> because he's not wearing the captain pin. He pulls actually it out no of no the pocket.
0: I think he is a captain this is isn't this Mike from Twin Peaks Mike, Mike. Oh, I think it is yeah I, I remember him be, I'm pretty sure I can picture him being the guy with the bandana I, I, I didn't mention it to you before watching the movie but yeah it's Mike uh, as in the friend of Bobby rather than the one-armed man yeah yeah because of course two
1: Mikes, to uh, Twin Peaks fuck Yeah, this isn't the space to explain that
0: but yeah, he is he is Mike from Twin Peaks, and it's, like, practically the same year as season one of Twin Peaks, so he looks exactly the same. Oh, I thought I totally it was really funny to see him as a helicopter pilot in Vietnam.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally see it now. I, I was just thinking, this guy looks familiar, oh well.
0: But yes, he is a captain, like, that is his rank. He's Captain A.J. Moran.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah, he's basically able to, he's able to get, like, Three helicopters and four guys to help him out
0: The Air Cav mm-hmm. Yeah, he, we, we have a whole sequence where he goes back to Air Cav headquarters And he tries to get some guys to help him And uh, nobody's willing to And then he finds just like the drunk guy is in the back And he's like, I know you guys want to help me
1: Yeah, I know And it's like, yeah, we're bored, let's do it mm. So yeah, they uh, Getting ready for the final offensive Although they all kind of feel like they're going to be the final offensive, but just how many people are pushing it against them all the time. We get a really freaking drunk Wingshauser in the command thing with Irby. And he's just like, fuck the Marines, fuck the war. And here's where we finally actually find out about the dead son.
0: Okay, yeah. And he he finally uh, talks about it. Or is it just voiceover?
1: Um, no, he says he, he does talk to talking him. to him and he's just like, no, you crossed the line. You got too personal. And Ernie's like, well, you let me down. You didn't come to me and let me help you out with this dead son thing. You went to San Francisco and got drunk for three weeks. You went AWOL. And Wings has this great line. He says, I didn't go AWOL. I went crazy
0: and <laughs> I went to
1: hell
0: that is pretty great i didn't go a while i went crazy would be a a pretty good tagline
1: yeah yeah i'm surprised uh surprised that didn't make it into the trailer it is um and and as i'm hearing the story i'm thinking like wings hauser being drunk in san francisco for three weeks that's just an afternoon for him and and then oh yeah, the night before the final assault is when we get the severed
0: heads. That's the best part of the movie. It is absolutely it, the funniest moment in the movie.
1: Yeah, so Jones finds these severed heads of their own guys from like this gun base uh, on the somewhere on like the edge of their base, and Irby he <laughs> comes in is just carrying these two severed heads over his head like. He's already know?
0: yelling. Yeah, he comes in shrieking, holding these severed heads of guys they work with, you know, other dudes that are, you know, un- until quite recently were part of their very limited crew. Yeah. And he's
1: like, do you know who these heads belong to? That is Corporal Miller. He is dead now. I do not respect Corporal Miller because he let his guard down and let the VC take him, his man
0: and my gun. It definitely feels... It is the moment that most feels like him as Gunny in action. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) I just... I just kind of wonder, because we don't really get to see any of it except with the nurse, but how do all these other people feel about this guy showing up, taking over as captain, and then just shouting all day?
0: I mean, ultimately it doesn't matter, but I think it's probably a a matter of this is just a thing that happens, uh, no. you, you're you're in it, it, again. It's the destabilization effect. Everything is completely destabilized. Everyone is in just total constant chaos in this movie. Oh, good uh, point. The, the people who are survivors are the people who thrive in chaos, like Arlie, Ermi, and Nard.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, so now
0: we're at the actual final,
1: final, final battle, where they're doing like their big push. Uh, the, the VCs actually get into the infirmary and the nurse has to fight him off and the wounded guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, cause they start just fucking executing, uh, all of the people on the, like, they start blowing away all of the patients right away.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They're blowing away the patients. And I'm just kind of thinking, well, did they learn this from the Americans are they getting revenge on the Americans for doing this to them? But the Americans were getting revenge on the VCs for doing that to them. And oh, no, this it's is called just It's gonna, Just War.
0: Yeah, and it's just going to be like you that. It's what do when it's a bunch of fucking uh, complete murderous chaos.
1: But the convention, though. Yeah, no. Uh...
0: There, there's like no command. that That's sort of the thing that that is heavily established in this movie is that there is really no – Uh, real centralized command for any of these people they are all just uh agents of chaos uh with some sort of background of uh, enemy uh versus hero and they're on different sides of which one's enemy and which one's hero
1: yeah basically it does really feel like a lot of uh like there's nothing holding this team together and everyone's on their own
0: yeah it's complete fucking chaos well, because they're not a team either. It's just well, we, no, they're not. We are uh, trying to uh, survive a siege. Yeah, yeah.
1: The the commander, the enemy commander, even gets into the base and gets into like a knife fight with Ermi before you know another VC guy comes and human shields the commander and falls onto Ermi, so he's kind of out of commission. And then the commander, <laughs> the commander finds Pee Wee and picks him up and like like runs away with him as if he's bowser kidnapping princess peach and
0: more like he's kidnapping toad but yeah he, he, he just yeah, it's a long. lot he's like fun. that
1: yeah well not quite he has to he shoots as Wingshauser is calling out for peewee
0: he shoots him in the nards it's funny how uh peewee is also the name of uh the turtle in gamera remember that
1: oh yeah that's right
0: and it's it's you know bowser's taken back bowser jr um (laughs) he's he's secretly camera um but yeah it's it's uh it's it's a weird end for wings he gets shot in the dick and dies
1: yeah yeah well i mean it's a weird end for the
0: movie because wings final moments are the movie's final moments well, essentially, we, we get a voiceover, and we, we get Arlie Ermy crying over him. But yeah, it just that he gets shot in the dick and dies is very Australian.
1: <laughs> yep. Like, like there's this whole thing, like, they they managed to defend the base. Oh, Shortwave and Murphy died.
0: Everybody gets fucking things. massacred. It's just a, a huge fucking gory massacre the whole movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, Wings is, like, dying, bleeding out, and everything in a trench, and the nurse is trying to help him, and Ernie's there, and Wings is like, do me, do me now!
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And of course, Ernie, yeah, Ernie's like, alright, get out nurse, you're, get the hell out of here, your services are not needed right now. And,
0: and she's like, yeah, I can save him, but he, he does not want to be saved.
1: He does not, he specifically says, like, I don't want to go back like this.
0: <laughs> he doesn't want to go back without a deck.
1: Although, you know, I don't see. I kind of wonder if he doesn't want to go back at all.
0: No, I don't think he does. I, I think that is uh, maybe more the point. He's been here for much longer than he needs to be.
1: Yeah, seventeen years. I didn't know the Vietnam War went for seventeen years.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I it's this has got to be real late in the war. the The Vietnam War did go on a really long time. It's just a lot of it wasn't on the books.
1: Oh, I see. I see. And we we end with a voiceover of, I lost a lot of good men at Gloria, but so did they. And he's weeping while he's reading out all the stuff on uh, Donardo's dog tag, like his rank, his name, and his, <laughs> his serial number. And then he's just, just like,
0: end of, story, Nard. Nard. Yeah, over, or, <laughs> end of the story, Nard. <laughs> yeah, story's over, Nard. End credits. of the story, Nard. Yeah, end of the story, Nard. That is a funny final line. I did laugh. (laughs) I I don't know about you. Like, I laughed out loud. I was like, (laughs) end of story, nard. I almost (laughs) clipped it and sent it to you. I was like, no, you're probably going to watch this movie and you need to experience it in real time. But, wow.
1: Uh, Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) I I didn't laugh the first time, but the second time I watched the movie, I was like, okay, this is (laughs) is funny.
0: I laughed. I left almost every time someone said Nard. Not just because of the (laughs) the funniness of the word, just the way it always had a certain gravitas. Anytime it was said it was with affection, it was like the rare moment of emotion in the movie. And then it's like, why did you name him Nard then? (laughs) What are you doing? I think it's a joke. Oh, yeah. So you can shoot him in the Nards at the end. Yeah, I do think it's a gag. (laughs) I, I think so, too. I mean... Because the movie is pretty serious. It plays it really serious for the most part, but it is not dramatic. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I'm impressed that it completely stays neutral on the war itself.
0: Yeah, that's kind of weird because most people aren't all that neutral. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I mean, Vietnam, it's not a great war.
1: No, yeah, like it doesn't really dip into the politics of who was right or who was wrong. Just just the the politics of getting fucked up by war.
0: Yeah, everyone's just in fucking total chaos. This is a movie about the chaos of war in uh, a very literal sense. It's a chaotic movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so many people getting shot and falling over and dying on screen.
0: Very bloody, tons of squibs. Huge squibs. Oh
1: yeah. Oh yes.
0: Some great um, squibs, so bloody.
1: <laughs> yeah. Some great gore effects, uh, like people losing legs and the the severed heads look great. Mm-hmm. The uh, the children's corpse pile really actually upsets Haunting. me with how good it looks yep. because
0: similar to the ones you know, come and see.
1: Yeah, I don't don't like that, but that's the only thing like that in the movie.
0: It's interesting that they put that really heavy shock moment right up at the opening uh, for how. Much of the rest of the movie doesn't seem to take it too seriously and is uh, very exploity violence-wise. But Mm. I guess it's an exploitation moment that's more shock than action.
1: That's that's probably what it is. I thought the whole movie was going to be like that, and I'm kind of glad it wasn't.
0: Oh, yeah, that that would have been more of a misery porn kind of thing, which this is this is a movie that's meant to be kinetic and fun, but also be about the horrors of war.
1: Yeah, but it does end up it does come off a little silly.
0: At times it is goofy uh, at times. It, uh, well, th- like the the Nard thing uh, and just how is there the performance is big. Ermey doing Ermey like it's very tropey and it is. I think, aware of how tropy it is. It's like, let's collect up all of the Vietnam cliches and put all of them together and just have as much blood as we can possibly have.
1: Think we could get Arlie Ermy to be the sergeant? Well,
0: like, man, we could definitely get him.
1: Got, just gotta ask, man. What's the worst c- that can happen? Well, he could tear me a new asshole verbally. Oh, not he, on the phone, he can't!
0: He's in lots of these things. Oh, yeah. I think. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I believe he did so many variations on this character over the years this is a fairly early one though
1: oh really i thought
0: well Well, i mean full metal jacket's only 1987.
1: oh i keep getting that release date mixed up with apocalypse now which was like 60s or 70s
0: uh apocalypse now is 79 i mean the, the the vietnam war was still happening uh up till the the 70s so they they weren't making Movies oh, yeah. that critical about it uh, During it
1: No, no, they definitely would not be doing that
0: I mean, they they were criticizing it heavily But you you weren't really making Movies retrospectively you know, People really started doing that once Because you know, people didn't want to see that as entertainment Yeah, yeah Although and- it was that really terrible fucking single By Sergeant Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler The Ballad of the Green Beret That was like the one Uh uh, Pro Vietnam hit single.
1: Oh no! Oh no! That's the
0: ballad of the Green Beret. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Not good. Uh, this is a pretty fun movie, though. A fun uh, another dip into uh, weird exploitation, uh, huh. dick violence. Uh, <laughs> running theme in uh, the the Australian movies we've watched. Well. Uh, Maybe run into it again. (laughs) I wouldn't be
1: surprised.
0: Yeah. So any last thoughts on the Siege of Firebase Glory before we move on to our third and final section?
1: No, I'm going to say
0: end of part two, Jay. All right. And we're back for our third and final part, the Watched Stacks. Talking about, uh, I think we've got 13 movies I watched in the past week. Uh yeah, 13. Cool, cool. Uh technically only 12 on the list because one of them is a watch of something we've already covered, so it's not present there. Uh so first up we've got National Treasure 2: A Book of Secrets.
1: Ooh. More
0: Nick Cage goodness. Uh this one definitely uh it's weird cuz it's the only it, it has more of the Nicolas Cage freakouts you'd be looking for. It definitely has one of the all-time Looney Tunes ones. Oh. Uh, but his hair looks like it's on a Lego man. It's it's right at that point where his toupee looks the worst it's ever looked. Uh, and it's kind of a cornier movie. It's 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 an obvious step down from the first one.
1: Hmm. i'm Uh, looking at a picture of nick cage and yeah that's uh that's a reasonable description it's
0: it's it's surprisingly bad and the more you look at it over the course of the movie the worse it looks (laughs) um and it's weird because he looks great now but there's this brief period of time circa this movie and i think next after it like the movie called next (laughs)
1: oh Uh, i've seen that
0: one yeah i've seen that one as well uh and there's one where i think that's the one where he's a magician uh, and his his uh, toupee is just—it looks like a bird. <laughs> this one, of course, it, you know, he stole the, the Declaration of Independence. You know, the plot is in this one. Yep. Wait, yeah. no, what is it? Oh, I have to kidnap the president of the United States. <laughs> oh, he has to. He has to. There's there's no other choice. Okay. Uh, you no, know, it's it's fun. It's it's so corny. I mean. These movies are weird for us to watch because they're extremely American. Like, they're movies that are about American history and so uh, uncomplicatedly American. Like, they're before conspiracy theory got really poisoned.
1: Oh, so, you know, back when the founding fathers were unequivocally good.
0: Yeah, so it's weird. Uh, it's it's a strange flavor. And, I mean, it's a Disney movie. So, yeah, it's strange. Right. Definitely not as good as the first. Okay. Next we got property is no longer a theft, a film by Elio Petri. Who's a really interesting, very political Italian filmmaker.
1: I love the title of this one. And it's been on the stacks for, well, probably like more than a year now,
0: probably close uh, to a year. It it was mid stack or like near the top rows by this point. Uh, So this is one I talked about a a long time back. And uh, I I recall you saying like, well, that sounds like uh, everything I want in a movie at the time. (laughs) And then we never get back to it. Oh, damn. So it's about this guy. He's a bank clerk, but he's allergic to money. Okay. Uh, And he is like Marx's number one fan. He has like cutouts of Marx on his walls and stuff. It's really cute. Uh, and uh, there's this guy who comes to the bank, who uh is just really obnoxious, uber capitalist guy. He runs a butcher shop, kind of like the soup Nazi, uh, mm. in the way he runs it. And he's just this really obnoxious customer, and he really hates him. And all the time he brings in the money, it's the worst money he has to deal with because it's just the filthiest money.
1: Oh, of course, money is already the filthiest thing in the world.
0: Oh, it's so dirty it's so so, gross. so one day this rich guy comes in and he sees him like he he has a loan approved by uh the the bank president and then the guy's like well i wanted a bit more than it. it's like i i couldn't this is the most i could get and the guy basically you know he is one of their biggest accounts so he is able to just hold him where the barrel and like well then i'm just going to leave uh, the bank and uh, that's just going to ruin your career He's like, well, yeah, that would be a blemish on my entire career as a bank president. So I guess I will, you know, I'll get the money to you and, you know, give me another week and I'll figure something out. So he sees all this and he's like, man, that's bullshit. And he goes into the boss's office and he wants a loan and just a a much smaller loan. Right, right. Something to improve his station because he's living in a hovel and He is allergic to money. He has to wear these gloves to even handle it. And, you know, he is a second-generation banker in this bank. His dad worked here before him. Oh, no. We're we're so invested in this. We Like, obviously, you can vouch for my authenticity. It's just there's no way for me to improve my station with the way things are. Uh, Like, I, I just literally do not have the money. And the bank owner is like, well... You don't have any collateral. Why would I give you any money? I, I can't give you it's like, but you know me as a person like I, I, I obviously we're we're so invested in the banks. Like, well, I mean, you don't have any money, so I can't give you any money. <laughs>
1: right. That, that,
0: fuck, I hate yeah. capitalism so much. So that's his thing. He he quits the bank and he decides instead he's going to devote himself to stealing everything from the butcher just piece by piece. He's going to try to thieve him down to poverty, uh, which is (laughs) not possible. He doesn't have a good grasp of economics. Uh, None of the characters in this are very smart about the way they go about things. I'm going to
1: steal your car. Oh, well, I have insurance.
0: (laughs) Fuck! Well, first he goes to his butcher shop while he's working one day, and he steals his knife when he's not looking. (laughs) So he has to close the shop for one thing, and it really pisses him off. And then he, he... you know, steals uh, some of his clothes and he uses them to rob his own house. (laughs) So, you know, he he starts building stuff up from it. But yeah, it's it's very interesting. A very uh, angry, scabrous movie. Uh, Obviously, uh, really angry about capitalism as Elio Petri's films tend to be.
1: All right. That does sound fun.
0: It's pretty good. Uh, Next up, we've got Dead Girls. Which is uh, the last in Homegrown Horrors, Volume 2, from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, it's a uh, late-period slasher. Okay. It's like a goth rock group, all girls, who... Th- their thing is, like, all of their songs are about death and killing and killing yourself.
1: Right. I, I think we might have talked about this.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would yeah. have introduced it last week, I think. Oh, okay. So... The, the one of the girls sisters uh, is part of a group suicide attempt uh, to their music, because <laughs> it's a very heightened, absurd film that feels like it was uh, made by. Like, it's it's extremely of the moment in like that cusp of the 90s when uh, the PMRC was coming into fashion, just like this. Concern over lyrics, right? <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, the the whole Ozzy Osbourne Osborne suicide solution thing, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes with the sister to a cabin in the woods with the band, and you know, slasher. Uh, uh, the the thing that's weird is the gimmick is it, the killer kills them with weapons or based on their songs but we don't have their songs their songs don't <laughs> exist they don't record them for the movie so the way that they have to communicate it is he always brings a manila folder with the lyrics of their song and include, and just drops it somewhere nearby <laughs> it's okay it's labored uh it's kind of funny though uh, next, we've got The Sex Perils of Paulette.
1: <laughs> is Paulette going, does Paulette live in an apartment?
0: Paulette lives in an apartment, check.
1: Oh, is she going to make terrible decisions that are just going to blow up in her face? She
0: makes some just absolutely awful decisions. Uh, yeah.
1: Cool, cool. Uh, is she going to clean or otherwise do chores in lingerie? you know,
0: I'm not sure if she does do any chores. There's definitely a lot of lingerie. Um, She's like, yeah, yeah, she's, hmm. She kind of ends up in sex work pretty rapidly. This is where actually a lot of the source material from Another Man, Another Woman is. (laughs) (laughs) So this one is is what, it, it turns out both of the movies that most heavily uh borrowed or or were borrowed from come later in the set than that so they they did do it <laughs> that way uh that's funny like it, yeah all, all the party sequences are from this
1: oh the ass bouncing
0: uh i th- mm, may no i don't know if that's there yeah, maybe sure uh, the, the the, those sisters are yeah, all of the dancing uh there there's uh, that you know, very noticeable plant on the table. You know, anything that has that in it, it's from this one.
1: The clown painting. <laughs>
0: uh, next up, we've got Winter Beast. I'm going to get into a little uh, winter Christmas theme for a few days. Cause we uh, are covering the period over Christmas.
1: All right. There's, yeah, there's some in here that... Oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to pick because there's some that we've talked yeah. about. But
0: anyway, some interesting stuff. So Winter Beast is uh, from the first Homegrown Horrors box. It's probably my favorite one. A very, very regional, low budget thing. It's got a totem pole monster that eats <laughs> people. Uh, it, it's about like. Imagine, the, or I, I guess literally in the film, it's the gates of hell for Native Americans. It is their gates of hell. And people built a ski resort there. (laughs) Oh, don't do that. And it it totally went to shit. So there's only this one lodge left, and it's extremely haunted. And uh, uh, the the guy just won't close the place. He's like the mayor from Jaws, except he's really (laughs) creepy, does this whole song and dance in a clown mask at one point. Uh, And just stop-motion beasties all over the place. The... Any time, uh, the totem post totem pole monster picks someone up to like bite their head off, they turn into a clay man because you know he's a little, uh, stop motion <laughs> thing. Aww. uh, it's it's pretty fun. It's just such a wild, weird ride. It's like The Shining, but as a tiny regional budget horror with lots of Harryhausen esque uh attempts at least at, at Harryhausen-esque <laughs> uh stop motion monsters. A lot of fun. Sounds
1: cool. I do I love stop motion and I wish it was still a thing. I really
0: It is. It's it's actually really coming back. There are like oh. all those stop motion movies that have become really big. Uh oh. you know like uh Kubo and the two strings we watched a while back right. oh that movie was good great movie. Uh and I've seen a bunch of them. Uh Paranorman's really good. I haven't seen that one. It's pretty cool. Uh, next, we've got Jack Frost 2, Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman. All right. So you've seen the first Jack Frost, I believe. I, I think I watched think this so. with you. I uh, think so. Very silly movie about a killer snowman. Uh, he's a serial killer, and then he gets blasted by this super concentrated experimental fluid, and then he becomes a being of ice, so he just, like, goes around as a snowman and kills people.
1: Why did I think that Jack Frost was played by Martin Short?
0: Uh, I don't know. Because there is a Michael Keaton jack frost movie from the same year as the first one uh but you know it's a family drama rather than him being a killer snowman he's a dead dad come back as a snowman bad Uh, movie oh
1: i know why because martin short plays uh jack frost in the santa claus three
0: yes that is correct and i watched that last christmas it stinks
1: (laughs) i've never seen it i only ever saw the first one and i didn't like it
0: yeah, they're they're progressively worse somehow. Uh, the third one is insane.
1: I mean, Tim Allen as Santa
0: Claus. Man. Well, that was that was the idea that it was so absurd, and then the the later ones that he's just so absurdly Santa Clausy that it's horrifying. Like he's a plastic <laughs> monster. Oh my god. Anyway, Jack Frost too. Uh, so you do you recall Jack Frost the? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, It's in Snowminton, uh, this uh, small town that's really obsessed with snowmen. And the sheriff eventually is able to take him down with a truck bed full of antifreeze. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in number two, he's vacationing in Hawaii.
1: As you do when you just got... Uh, doused with a whole bunch of antifreeze.
0: No, uh, the the sheriff is.
1: Oh, the sheriff is. Oh, okay. As you do when you just fought a winter-themed monster and you don't want to think about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's the next Christmas, and it's like, you know what? We don't want to do snow this Christmas. It was really traumatizing last year, but we're going to leave the kid behind. He no longer exists. (laughs) Come (laughs) on! So... Meanwhile, scientists dug up all of the antifreeze with uh, the DNA <laughs> of the serial killer and they tried to extract it back and they made him a like more mutant version of himself and made him come back. So this is a shot on video. Early direct, uh, early digital video, I think. Okay. And this it, is this from 2000? Yeah, it looks rough. <laughs> it looks really bad. Uh, the effects are so bad looking. Uh, so you know he 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 escapes obviously he kills people in the lab but there's a part where he is just in the ocean and he's just a disembodied voice and there's these guys fighting on a life raft and he kills them to get a carrot for his nose on his way to hawaii because they're fighting (laughs) over a carrot it's the last piece of food in the boat it's a very silly movie you might imagine (laughs) Okay, uh, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's like a part where he turns into an anvil and falls on someone and they just like turn to mush. Uh, it, it doesn't make much of any sense. Uh, a large part of it, he is absent just doing other stuff because he's created all of these little talking snowball babies that are like <laughs> cute little balls of teeth that eat people up. Oh my god, okay, all right weird pretty bad but compelling all right (laughs) next we've got a christmas story Uh, one of my christmas perennials as i've uh, mentioned before
1: yeah we we've talked about this uh several times on the show how you love it and i've never seen it
0: yeah it's weird like i don't even know if i love it it's just it's this movie that is intrinsic to me like i've watched it Every Christmas that I can recall, <laughs> hmm, okay, <laughs> it's just it's it's always there. Uh, it it is brilliantly written. Like the dialogue is very funny. Uh, it's uh, Gene Shepard, uh, and it's it's based on his book. In God We Trust, all others pay cash. Uh, <laughs> and it's it, yeah, it's it's funny. It's just it's it's really clever. It's it, it's sort of the first of its kind where it's a family movie about Christmas that's not taking it too seriously as, like, a romantic thing. Right. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it's... I, I, yeah, I, I have no idea how to even put it into words at this point. It, it just has an incredible Christmas aesthetic that kind of set the template for everything going forward. And it's cool that it's a Canadian movie. Oh, cool. Because it is a film by Bob Clark, uh, who is a pretty important figure in exploitation. Oh, so I had a Bob Clark triple feature for Christmas Eve. So first was a Christmas story. Yeah. Second was the first slasher movie, Black Christmas. Can you believe that this motherfucker got two of the biggest, most important Christmas movies? (laughs) And the rad thing about Black Christmas is it's a slasher movie with sort of like a dark version of the aesthetics of a Christmas story. Nice, nice. So it's a sorority. Mm, Please.
1: I just saw the tagline, if this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight.
0: (laughs) It's red. Like, John Carpenter borrowed a lot of this movie. A lot of it. Uh, Like, because, you know, Halloween is several years later. Uh, They're the only slashers that have completely (laughs) terrifying perfect endings. Uh, it's cool that this one's at Christmas. Uh, it's a sorority house slasher. It's got Margot Kidder, uh, Andrea Martin from SCTV. Oh. Uh, Cara D'Elia from 2001 is uh, okay. a boyfriend. Uh, yeah, it, and John Saxon is the cop investigating it. Oh, Cool. Uh, really great movie. Uh, absolutely fucking terrifying conclusion. Like you know, the the only thing on par with uh, the the Boogeyman could be anywhere thing. Um, just uh, you know, a, a classic.
1: Cool, cool. That's Black Christmas.
0: Black Christmas. All right. Next, we've got children shouldn't play with dead things. That's the first Bob Clark movie.
1: Well, oh, shouldn't no. they play with living things?
0: <laughs> uh, I, I guess maybe this isn't his first, but it's sort of the big landmark one. It's it's a really important can exploitation joint because it is where Jeff Gillen and Alan Ormsby meet uh, on the set of this movie because the main character of this movie is Alan who's an obnoxious director. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got this theater troupe, this bunch of theater kids with him. They go to a graveyard, dig up a dead body. He gets married to it and they just play around with it all night. Okay. <laughs> you know, they're doing some light satanic rituals and the dead race, yeah. obviously. Yeah, that's that's what well, of happens course. in this sort of situation. They get very offended and they all come back. But it's, you know, a good, like, 45 minutes of just them being annoying theater kids in a graveyard first and like them pranking each other and then they actually like they, they do a whole thing where they open a grave and they prank someone say they, they have like someone that they know in makeup in the grave. And then it's revealed that they just have the real corpse just, you know, waiting over there by the tree and like, oh, yeah, and I'm going to marry this. OK, <laughs> So it's funny because all of them just use their real names as the character names. So Alan Ormsby is Alan. Jeff Gillen is Jeff. (laughs) A lot of familiar faces from Deranged and uh, other connexploitation stuff. There's so much crossover in all three of these movies. Because, you know, Jeff Gillen is Santa in A Christmas Story, as well as the second in command in Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. It's fun right on and next we've got silent night deadly night which of course we've already covered on this podcast in fucking reps
1: it, it rules
0: yeah so good it's uh the warm side of the door
1: and uh it is not uh watching silent night deadly watching the first 45 minutes of silent night deadly night two is not a suitable substitute
0: no it is not <laughs> you get, you get uh, all the
1: plot points close. but it is not
0: not even close no Uh, Next, we've got Running Out of Time 2. Oh. So so he still had some time. Well, uh, no. It's a different villain uh, Uh, trying to romance the same cop. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. This one's notably sillier and also leans more into the shipping. Like, there is a chase montage where at the start of it, you know, they see each other across a crowded street. And then like a light rain falls and romantic music plays as they chase each other for literally hours. Like it's a montage of just day turning into night and them chasing each other, running through the streets for on and on and on. And they stop for a snack break in the middle of it across the street. Like one guy's getting ice cream and one guy's you know, having a bottle of water across the street from each other. <laughs> and then like, he thinks it's finally over and that he, he just like can't do it anymore. And he's the other guy's gotten away on a bicycle. And then he like is just circling at the end of the block and he gestures to where there's another bicycle. So they can continue chasing. <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's so, funny. <laughs> so the, the difference in this one is the guy is a magician. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's, he's not, like I guess he's a super criminal and and a thief, but he he does all these magic tricks, which basically means he's just literally magical within the movie, and he can uh, do anything. Oh, uh, sure. It's notably sillier than the first one. It it does some really goofy stuff, but it's a really fun ride.
1: Yeah, I've noticed there are exactly two kinds of stage magicians in movies. There's actual wizards and where did the lighter fluid come from,
0: Michael? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy, actual wizard. <laughs> Next we've got the karate killer, which is bodyguard Kiba 2. No real uh, relation to the first.
1: Like Yakuza a wolf and the yak is a wolf too.
0: Yeah. Uh this one. It's very anime. It has a very childish mindset. <laughs> I, I sent you the clip of the pot addict the other night. Oh, I didn't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also... I, I, I sent two clips, and both of them are great. You should watch them. Uh, one of them... Sonny Chiba is just in a bar. He's gotten out of jail. His thing is, he just really likes fighting. He's he's into fighting. That's a thing he's into. Uh, okay. we, he... He had gone to jail because someone framed him over something. And, you know, he does his time. We see him in jail and he makes a friend through fighting. So he finds another guy who really likes fighting and they fight together and they have fun. Cool. Now they're buds. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And obviously, you know, it'll echo later. That guy will come back out and he'll be revealed to be part of the main plot all along. Of course. So he goes to this bar and the bar has its own gang who are sort of bodyguards And sort of just a gang who hang out there You know Right right And he pours the guy's beer Like there's a the, one of the thugs He grabs the guy's hand And he makes the guy pour the beer He is holding into His own glass <laughs> With so much force That when he finally lets him go He goes flying backwards like a tumbleweed <laughs> And then Everyone in the bar, it it just like does a a cut of just like everybody taking a beat and looking and uh, Chiba just downing the entire glass of beer in one gulp and sitting back satisfied. And then the band strikes up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sir, that was my drink. I am absolutely certain that it
0: was. (laughs) Well, that brings us to our last picture, because there's one of the couple gags in this that i really laughed at this is the other australian movie i was talking about a lot of dick trauma it's very silly it's <laughs> unbelievably bloody it's kind of the same genre as commando ninja remember that movie
1: oh yeah oh man that was that was a movie like that was crazy
0: yeah retro uh extremely exaggerated over the top a uh, version of an '80s movie based on a meme trailer, which is so such a very specific microgenre, and they do feel very similar in that sense. Although this one's very Australian, so the the line that I was reminded of is: <laughs> uh, He comes into the the police department and someone's like, oh, "How do you like your coffee?" He's like, "Like my women," and he just snaps and and takes off, and then. <laughs> And they're they're kind of like flabbergasted for a moment, and like there's a beat, and then they start to talk again. and He like just sort of uh, suddenly appears back in frame and takes her coffee and and drinks it in in a gulp, and is like, uh, someone else's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Since the movie, he is an absolute shitheel He is (laughs) totally horrible to absolutely everyone He is a complete psychopath It is him just blowing away people all the time Good or bad (laughs) It's it's so absurdly heightened Everyone is a ridiculous caricature Uh, Another one I really laughed at Was There's this running thing with the 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 lady witness, the first witness, and she has this romance with him, or she builds up this romance with him, and she like goes to his place, and they think she's his girl, but I don't think he cares. (laughs) So they they've captured her, and they leave a note on his door, and he, you know, there's this whole huge action climax. You see tons of ridiculous gory deaths but it's effects wise think a timeline somewhere between Birdemic and Bollywood. Oh. It's okay. it's very uh silly digital effects that look incredibly faky. Um oh, is so good. I can't wait for Captain Alex 2. Oh yeah. So uh you know the a huge climax and then uh, the bad guys like we've got your woman. And he yells, "Who is she?" <laughs> <laughs> Which just for the, the <laughs> amount of build up that they gave, it was so perfect. just it it it, it was uh, so well crafted to get to that joke. <clears throat> uh, not great. It, it's I don't even know how to evaluate these sort of movies because they're so amplified. It does feel like I'm watching a YouTube trailer the whole time, like a fake trailer. <laughs> they, they sort of always feel like you're watching a fake trailer. And the character is truly reprehensible. Like he is completely unsalvageably bad, but <laughs> it's it's still entertaining. It's just hard to say what it is. But it's, like I said, very Australian. It has that same flavor, the dick violence. Uh, right, I, I forgot to mention it at the start, his partner, Dixon, uh they're very centric friends. Uh they've been buddies since childhood. They always peed together. There's this <laughs> peeing montage where they're trying to pee higher up a wall, and then they're laughing, they're having such a good time, they're turning, they're peeing on each other, and they're just both soaked <laughs> in each other's piss, and this guy comes out and starts yelling at them. They're like, oh I stop pissing on my wall. And they say and they flash their badges and like, police business, fuck off. Um so anyway Dixon uh there's a shootout, and he gets he he's diving through the air, and his dick gets shot off and he dies of it. Oh no <laughs> so uh th- that's sort of a running thing in the movie that he's talking about Dixon and dicks and it just it it never stops. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so those are our uh thirteen movies watched uh twelve options. What do you figure? Oh, this is a tough one. Indeed. There's some um, fun, weird stuff. Yeah, for
1: sure. Uh, you know what? Let's do Black Christmas. You haven't been wrong about a slasher yet.
0: All right. Black Christmas is pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, a uh, uh, very frightening conclusion. Also, the best call tracing sequence i've ever seen uh that shows like the mechanics of them doing it and just really super cool
1: oh so it's not just keep them talking oh you hang up too fast
0: yeah there's a bit of that but it's more just like the guy in the switching station trying to find it which is really interesting to see okay okay so on the main stacks we have a handful of additions first uh, so there is Sinistray, which is uh one of those Florida shot on video things that was in was heavily featured in Blood Guts and Sunshine that I talked about a while back. Okay, uh, it's it, it, my understanding is it's like if Reservoir Dogs had a supernatural element and were trashy S O V movie, you know, a bunch of robbers hold up after uh, a heist but then i think they're in like a cabin in the woods and uh, people start turning into monsters or something okay. no there, there's there's an axe murderer <laughs> there's just an axe murderer yeah uh next we've got freeway freeway's pretty rad this is a movie i haven't seen in a while but i remember being pretty killer cool so it is a, like a modern thriller exploitation version of Little Red Riding Hood oh all right so set in the modern world uh, Little Red Riding Hood is uh, young Renee Zellweger and Kiefer Sutherland is the big bad wolf as the I-5 killer you know a murderer picking up people on the freeway and she's a she's like a teen on the run
1: oh cool okay this sounds like a cool premise
0: yeah, I remember it being a very wild ride. Huh. Uh, quite twisted, very sleazy. Uh, next up, we've got the hot month of August, which is the next uh, Doris Wishman one. That's the other uh, Greek one that she just like, yeah, let's let's make my own sound for this one. We'll shoot <laughs> some other scenes to connect together. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really know what that'll be like, but uh, I sort of do. <laughs> okay. Next, we've got Flatliners, which is a Joel Schumacher picture. Someone we quite like on this podcast, Mm -hmm. I feel. This is one, I think it's the next one he did after Lost Boys. And it also stars Kiefer Sutherland. It's also very horny. Uh, It's a bunch of college students. I think this is a Christmas movie, come to think of it. uh, Or at least a winter movie. There there are all these medical students. And the thing they're into is flatlining, which is they die And then uh, they're, you know, the rest of them are waiting with the shock cart to bring them back after a certain amount of time. And, you know, they keep pushing to be dead for a longer amount of time for the rush. Right. (laughs) And, you know, a bunch of Brad Pack actors. It's uh, Mm. a very 80s version of that story. Cool. Cool. In in the way that Lost Boys is an extremely 80s vampire movie.
1: Mm -hmm. Also kind of Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah.
0: And last up, the uh, Shogun's Shadow, uh, which is uh, the next in the Sunny Chiba box. And this is like, uh, this is a big Chanbara. So it's more of a broad, historic uh, samurai mission thing. Okay. So like, uh, the the Shogun has this uh, kid that he doesn't like or something. (laughs) And... uh, the there's there's one he likes and one he doesn't like and uh there there's just all of these machinations about it and they're trying to start battles with the other clans yeah that sort of stuff i i hear it's a really good one sunny chief cool. fucking rips so far this uh collection has been uh, kind of all aces all right right on uh, and of course uh 701's a grudge song right so what do you figure for our last pick of 2022
1: well uh i've been on a real samurai kick lately just uh like playing samurai games and stuff like that and Mm. uh so maybe to get it out of my system let's do shogun's shadow and i haven't seen a sunny chiba either i've been meaning to to dive into that box
0: cool cool all right so shogun's shadow that'll be interesting because i don't know much about that one and it's uh, not one of the directors that I'm familiar with In the set either Oh cool That should be interesting uh, So uh, next week we'll be covering Black Christmas and Shogun's Shadow uh, Also we'll be starting our Resolutions Month you know, oh, New Year's yeah. Resolutions I have a few ideas for that I think for our first one We will be doing a Jay's Pick Ooh ooh uh, well, we'll see what that will be cool cool all right so uh, do you have any last thoughts uh before we close up for this year no we got another one that's coming out before no yeah no nope, this it will is be the, the last anything last to say before we close out 2022 a weird weird year
1: um no let's just get the year over with
0: All right. See you folks on the warm side of the door.